0: I was sitting at a petrol station last night in Roscommon, and, and mother of God, the window got tapped three <laughs> times in ten minutes. They are. That mad. was the one lad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, they're, they're mental about yeah. Don't go to rock.
1: Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: All right, it's half past seven. It's Wednesday morning. You're welcome along to OTBAM. It's Jerry Shane with you all the way through until 10. If you want to get in touch, you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. You can tweet us at Off the Ball AM. Or you can always uh, get us on WhatsApp, 0879 180 180. Shane, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, how are things?
2: What's going on? A hell of a lot. Yesterday was class, in uh, in many ways. I think the Saudis kind of set the tone for the rest of the day, at 10 in the morning, with, uh, with a bit of a shock. Hervé Renard, sacked by Cambridge United in 2004. <laughs> Took Morocco to the World Cup last time out, and um, what a result. I don't think anybody saw that coming, let's be honest.
0: No, uh, absolutely not. 500 to 1. I did... Um uh, Keith, the security guard, was telling me about somebody he knows who had Australia, sorry, Argentina to be up at halftime, Saudi Arabia to win. And the odds were something like 185 to 1 and there was a fiver on it. So it was 800 quid. Thanks very much. <laughs> uh, I have heard stories of those people who have, um, like, in, uh, as the game went on, started to go, I think uh, Saudi Arabia have a chance here. you know. <laughs> but um, notwithstanding that, it did look like it was going to be multiple goals to nil even in that first half when the goals were being called back, it kind of felt like it was just a matter of time until the burst. But it never it never did. No, you're thinking with all these offsides, like so
2: many offsides. The Lionsman was the man of the match for the first half. And uh, it was just constant. You're thinking, that yeah, these goals are going to come. Um, but yeah, the first time since the 1930 World Cup final, the very first World Cup where Argentina led at halftime and went on to lose a game oh, in, right. the, in, the, in the World Cup. Which is mad. 92 years. Um, but yeah, you, you have to say, it was well-deserved. But Saudi Arabia as well Two really well taken goals uh, Bit of shithousery as well I saw online One of the Saudi defenders Kind of come up to Messi And after the second goal Just ran up to him And said you're not going to win this game Something to that effect um, And then Souness and Keane Having a little bit of an argument over
0: The penalty decision for Argentina as well Well we can actually We can hear that now So um, a lot of people won't have heard this But uh, I mean Even if you have Stay tuned <laughs> He doesn't know
3: when has been
2: kicked He's not looking And I think that is a penalty no, for me. No, no. All, this will do, all this will do is encourage diving. He's dragging him down. He's dragging him right. down. we are not listening to what Laura
4: said. It's a directive. That's exactly what she said, yeah. It's, it's a directive. This is not about opinions. That's a fact. The guy wasn't looking at well, the I'm law. here to give my opinion. That's not no Well, This is not about our opinions. It's about the law that's of about, the game. What are we here for? I'm, I'm here to give my opinion. They're
3: interpreting. So that's the, not it. The interpretation. The new law that's is. That's my opinion. That's the new law, law yes. is.
2: The new law is. That... If you're not of my opinion,
5: I don't I think that's a penalty. It, that's yeah. i me if you my opinion; that's not a penalty.
6: I've heard you said Ted. Again.
0: Yeah. I, I don't, say it, again. To say I don't again. think it's a penalty. Well, let someone else speak. Go ahead.
2: You'll learn a lot more if you let someone talk. No problem. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's good. You will le- learn a hell of a lot more if you let someone talk. Were they squaring up to each other? I ah, know they were. They're standing there. Uh, it didn't seem f- like staged as such. It was just kind of one of those. Moments where Keane flipped at one little thing where he says, That's your, I mean, we're not here to give opinions. And Keane was like, That's a, that's exactly why we're here. Um, <laughs> so they just totally, totally disagreed. I mean, it's, Keane was like, Nah, it's not a penalty.
0: I uh, okay. I do, I do like think that it's okay for us to say that the rules are stupid sometimes. And that's essentially what Keane's saying there. Like, the, there's loads of stupid rules in all sports. Mm. And I know, I, I do see this argument sometimes on, um, on Twitter in particular where it's like somebody explains the rule to somebody else and they go yeah but that's a stupid rule and I thought well you can't say that I mean <laughs> well, okay or, or fair enough you're right the only thing that we can ever do is exist within the parameters of thing, how things are right now Yeah, and we cannot strive for anything better to improve the game See, there's dick chats that seem to have been given ahead of this World Cup.
2: We all know that there, there's obviously going to be loads more added time because the referees have been told to give added time at the end of each half to stop time wasting. Um, and the, these penalties, there's been a couple of these now where, uh, you know, defenders have been kind of manhandling forwards in the box and you see them not given, but in this World Cup
0: they are very much being well, given. Well, it, within games, they're not being given. So England are complaining about the fact that uh, they had one that was given against them and they had one that they feel was exactly the same and they didn't get the penalty for it. <laughs> and then it emerged that in the video that did the rounds that they were like, here, for example, if you see this during the, the World Cup, make sure you give a penalty for it. England were actually involved in one of the incidents that they were highlighting, saying this wasn't a penalty in that particular game, but it should have been. <laughs> so um, now, obviously, uh, Southgate is like, it's in the referees' heads... And one yeah. of our players does it, which is like I'm a little bit behind the eight ball, and I, you know, I mean, it shouldn't be true, but it is true. We we do know that if you see something, you're like, oh, that's the same as that thing over there. It's in my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Keane's point is a good one in that if
2: if the referees given penalties for these, the, the, the forwards are going to be encouraged maybe to take a dive yeah. in the box. Yeah, but of course it. you are. Yeah, it's World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't you? Uh, so that's a fair point. But yeah, Keane and Tunes, uh, gold and. Uh, I think Keane named Soonis as one of his top three favourite pundits when Sky did that thing a while back and yeah, listed yeah. his, his favourite pundits so they, he definitely likes him as a pundit um, but they fully fully disagreed on many things yesterday
0: Soonis is a very interesting character isn't he because like um, Keane obviously was about as good as any of the pundits have been when he was talking about the armband and then uh, afterwards Soonis started talking about you know we need to look at ourselves in, in Roy's country our country haven't been particularly good I'm like I've actually never heard anybody on mainstream British sports coverage talk about uh, the, you know, Britain's history with Ireland, Mm.
7: um,
0: which is not good, you know, all the way back to the famine. It's not good. Uh, And more recently. But anyway, um, Soonest brought that up. But Soonest was also telling James McLean two weeks ago on Talksport to suck it up. Like, this is just what you're supposed to get. Like, you know, and uh, maybe I misinterpreted what he said, but like, people know where I'm from. And who I managed, and I assumed he was talking about Rangers. And it was like, at that stage, you're kind of that doesn't seem consistent with other things that you've said. And now it seems even less consistent. Mm. Like, he does seem like a well rounded. But it's funny. Uh, on, on, on matters of politics, if not uh, gender.
2: I actually think, uh, and it's funny, maybe it's just a poetry thing, and, and some people, like, uh, when Grimsdales is on the likes of ITV or BBC, like, I actually find myself agreeing with him. Quite, quite often with some of the things he says and then when you hear him on talks about it, you're like what? I, I just think sometimes he comes out with things that that are half-formed opinions um, now yesterday a lot of people kind of sharing his his clip where he's talking about the the British behaviour in Ireland and, and everyone's like yeah fair play to Graham for bringing this up but yeah, know it kind of struck
0: a chord with me as well that he hasn't always been consistent it's <laughs> interesting like, I, 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 the inconsistencies like um, consistency is the hobgoblin of a tiny mind but like <laughs> uh, uh, it's He's a complex character. Oh, big time. Yeah, big time. And and to have... I think ITV are honest something them having the two of them on together. Oh. Um, it does have the potential to get very fiery. Like, I know Colin is saying that he thinks it would have escalated if um, Keane didn't like Soonus. But it does have the potential as, you know, they're they're on holidays together. <laughs> uh, they go to breakfast together. They have lunch together. They have dinner together. Ah, yeah. yeah. They're having beers in the evening, those lads like. Well, Keane's not having beers. Keane's not having but, um uh, you know they're spending a lot of time together, and after a period of time, Roy just wants the fucking remote control, and <laughs> you know he just wants to watch the rugby league. <laughs> and no one's gonna like give me the remote control, Soonis. <laughs> yeah. So I think it could be it could be interesting. That's I think
2: he has a little bit of respect for Suenas as well. Just I think he likes the fact that soonest pushes back.
0: Yeah, but what, re- I'm, what I'm saying is that's that's only going to last so long.
2: Yeah, yeah. Before he's going to ratchet
0: up. The, yeah. The, the the air conditioning on the bus won't work one day, <laughs> and I want to be there to see what happens.
2: Yeah. Um. Oh, it was class. And then yesterday evening, like I was sitting at home watching the, the France-Australia game and, I mean, Kylian Mbappe just lit it up. He was immense. When it was
0: 1-0 and when the, uh, when the Aussie had the shot from like 50 yards out, you were like, oh, and yeah. that, was, that was in right till the very last second and then the ball just, it looked like a jubilani. Whew. Yeah, just swerved away. Uh, unfortunately it wasn't. But anyway. And Giroud becoming today the, the
2: all-time equaling men's top, top goal scorer for the French team as well. Um... With, with Henri, which is, which is mad. 51 goals. Yeah, I do see a lot of people in my uh, timelines going, Oh,
0: we're going to look back on Olivier Giroud as one of the great strikers. Let's go. In 10 years time, we'll really appreciate what a superstar he was. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he's in the same class as Thierry Henri. And I don't think he's in the same class as like the other great strikers. I don't even think he's the best French striker. If Benzema had been fit for or, this and also had not been, you know, uh, not allowed to play for Legal reasons, yeah. Uh, then I don't think he would have got anywhere near the fifty-one goals. Like he's he- nowhere near as good as Karim Benzema, and I don't think we're going to like suddenly in ten years' time go, oh, we crim- criminally underrated this guy just because, whatever.
2: No, I agree. I agree with you, and I, but I think uh, Vincent Kompany was was in the studio last night, and he was asked about, about Jerome and Mark and him what he was like to play against, and he actually straight away was like, well, uh, he he was almost hinting that like he wasn't that difficult to play against because of the way Man City played. You know, the ball wasn't near our box too often, but. When the ball is is in the box, Giroud is is as good as anyone. So th- I think in a very specific scenario and situation on the pitch, Giroud is world class. Um, and then different moments, like as he said, like if you're trying to mark Kylian Mbappe, if there's loads of grass behind you,
0: yeah, I mean, come screwed. on, he's playing with like it's, it's, this guy gets all of the attention and he throws in and side foots one in and everything. Like, oh, fifty goals! It was a nice That's header. It was a
2: nice header though for the fifty. First.
0: Look, I'm not saying he's bad. He's obviously good, but he ain't great. Mm. We're not going to suddenly be like, oh, he got robbed of a uh, Ballon d'Or. There was never a moment in his career where he's in a conversation with a Ballon d'Or. And that's about that's fine. That doesn't mean he's had a bad career. Anyway, we need to move on because massive, massive news coming in the last 24 hours. And I'm not talking about Ronaldo. Uh, Manchester United officially, formally for sale. That is a big deal. But let's talk a little bit about Ronaldo before we get to that. Noel Kyle says, can Shane explain the cringy love they, that's you Manchester United fans, have for Ronaldo? Twice he was desperate to leave them, yet they adore him. Hmm. Well, why do you uh, love this very, very? I have to say, like, interesting character. <laughs> so much shame. I, I don't. I don't love him. Um,
2: I certainly don't love him. I think a lot of United fans loved the 3 to oh nine um, era. Cristiano Ronaldo for what, he, for what he did on the pitch. Um, I don't get the fanboy, the CR7 fanboy stuff. The Sioux, like the the United fans who are re- essentially just Ronaldo fans. Have you been at a game where he scored? Were you not there? It was there for for two Ronaldo late winners, Real and Atalanta
0: last year. Did you do the sue? I didn't do the sue. Are you sure? I, I'm positive I didn't do the sue. Are you sure? Check, are, the, cameras, you, check did, the cameras. I was going to say, does your brother not have f- <clears throat> sneaky footage of you doing the sue? I bet you he does. No, he's sneaky footage
2: of me chanting up in the stands. Uh, but certainly there was no there was no sueing going on. Um, but it was one, yeah, it's one of those things. I, I It's kind of a. Cultural phenomena I don't really understand, but it got me thinking last night, Chair. Um, I've decided to, to have a think and, and kind of put this whole thing into context. And the Cristiano Ronaldo departure from United reminds me of the five stages of a breakup, because that's really what this is, let's be honest. So you have the first stage, which is denial. I'd argue the breakup started the day United fans laid eyes on him. It was love at first sight, the step-overs, the curly spaghetti hanging out of his hair, the lack of English. He was always going to break United fans' hearts, chair, But first, he did a pretty good job at becoming a club legend on the pitch. 2009, though, after six years and many trophies, individual and team, he moved to Real. Denial! How could this happen? Why would he want to move? But Fergie sanctioned it, took the transfer fee, and off he went. He uh, was an amicable end to a relationship, and they wished each other well, but... As with any breakup, the denial was real and there were big shoes to fill. The denial returned when rumours swirled in the days leading up to August 27th, 2021, that he was on the verge of signing for Manchester City. For United fans, it was like your favourite ex getting with your best friend. Your worst friend. The second stage is anger, Jer. So anger from both parties That's often how breakups work October 19th this year Cristiano Ronaldo refuses to come on as a sub at Old Trafford Against Spurs He's fuming at the lack of respect He walks down the tunnel United boss Eric Ten Hag Inevitably fuming behind the scenes That his most famous player could defy him so publicly This is like in a relationship On date night You're out for a meal in a very busy restaurant Your other half is stormed off Because you asked them if they wouldn't mind covering the tip You've got the rest But uh, it ended fairly messily The third stage of a breakup is bargaining November 6th, ten Hag enters bargaining mode Oh, take the captain's armband, Cristiano I'm sorry we fought At that restaurant last week, I mean Old Trafford last week I promise I'll always love you Remember all those great times we had with your good friends Wayne and Gary and all the others Well, we're at Villa Park today and I'm going to give you the armband We're never going to ever fight again Stage 4 of 5 in a breakup Is depression They did fight again The evening of Sunday, November 13th, clips from an explosive interview with Piers Morgan emerge. Your other half is sending damning opinions about you into a group chat with all of their friends. Millions of them, in fact. And it's the most annoying friend they sat down with first. He says he has no respect for the manager. He criticises any pundits who dare criticise him. He says the jacuzzi isn't good enough at Carrington. The cooks have stayed the same for years. He nearly signed for City. He turned down a big Saudi offer. He hasn't spoken to the club owners. In a long time, he's venting, and for Manchester United fans, it's the depression stage of the breakup. The final stage, Jair, is acceptance. When it finally happens, when that Portuguese cord is cut, it's almost relief for both parties. This is the acceptance stage. November twenty-second, just last night, mutual agreement, and the Ronaldo Man relationship forever at an end. There will be no rekindling. They'll publicly wish each other well, and privately wish they'd never given the relationship a second chance in the first place. So. There you have it, Jared. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Relief. Cristiano Ronaldo. Relief is a sixth one. Cristiano Ronaldo managed it over, and in uh, the words of Taylor Swift, they are never ever getting back together.
0: Uh, are they never ever getting back together?
2: Is Surely it? not. You think? Uh, I don't mean as players. Could he come back as a manager? He can't. He can't. Well. Could he come back as an owner? I don't, th- I don't think Ronaldo is a coach. Could
0: Ronaldo get together the consortium to buy the club? I mean, that would be... <laughs> well, he has enough money to do it. Well, that would be a bit of a
2: comeback, wouldn't it? I just. When I saw the news last night. I think for a lot of United fans, that, that was the overriding
0: emotion. Possibly the, the, the sixth stage of the breakup. Relief, pure and utter relief. Well, does this mean that you actually get to remember the good times? You know, it's like one of those soppy montages at the end of uh, rom-com where it hasn't quite worked out, but mm. all, the, all, the, you know, all, the, all the emotional people in the audience are crying is it is it tainted though like a lot of like for I, the fa- for the fanboys it's not tainted they're going to remember the legacy and what, say what, he's like the with goat. respect right this whole i i i i've heard loads of people talking about oh it's uh, it ruins the legacy I'm like he, Ronaldo was Ronaldo the whole way through he was totally true to who he is petulant egotistical arrogant and brilliant right yeah like, but, but the way was, it ended. he wasn't he wasn't brilliant here but he he was he was exactly who he is here you you can't so, you got him for that period of time when he was one of the best young players in the world, mm-hmm. and so uh, profited off the back of that to the point where massive trophies were won that haven't been won since. Yeah. So that's tainted. You're now like, i oh, retrospective, retrospectively. Oh, I over enjoyed. I celebrated too much when we won the Champions League because that client was part of our team. No, you didn't. You did that. That those memories were those memories are those memories. This whole point that like. I oh, now I realise that this guy was who he was the whole time. It's like, uh, okay, you, maybe maybe your scales have fallen for your eyes, and so there's an asterisk beside that Champions League for you. But well, that's not true. <laughs> you're not going to be arguing when your mates are like, oh, we're better, you're better, we're better, you're better. It's like, uh, oh, yeah, sorry, I'm taking off the, the Champions League when we have Ronaldo, because I don't really like him anymore.
2: I, like, when Ronaldo left United the first time, I think he was 24 years of age, which people forget, and, and he left in, like... He, Ferguson said to him, give us one more year. And that, that one more year was Premier League and Champions League, 42 goals. Uh, like, I mean... That legacy is tainted. Well, no,
0: It's not, right? It's not. You still love him. No, but it's just too... It's too it's, 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 again, Next week, you'll have forgotten all this shit and you'll be like... Actually, you know, he's amazing.
2: It's the break-up analogy. My, the,
0: way he, the way he made me feel.
2: It's apparently... No, uh, i've never made me feel like that since... Someone, someone once said. I think um, it's been said that after a breakup, a tough breakup, it takes two years for you to stop thinking about the other person.
0: Where, where are you reading this stuff? I
2: don't know. And uh, <laughs> like, but so I, I think it's too soon, Jer. I think in two years' time, United you know, fans will be able to look back and then. Uh, I think look broke. at the legacy.
6: Yeah,
8: I don't.
2: So we, I don't know. I, yeah, it's just one of the, one of those things. I, I, it, right now, because of the way it went, but like the, the Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan is sitting there licking his lips. I was the downfall of Ronaldo at United. He's an Arsenal fan. He's loving this. So, I mean, the fact that it, it went down the way it did is is, is probably the disappointing it, thing for it, United that's fans. That's the
0: only thing that's tainted his legacy is that he did the interview with Piers Morgan, as far as I can see, is like, um, but like, everybody gets over everything. And walking down it the was, tunnel as well, refusing to come on. You didn't care about that, really. I, I think United fans cared about that. Uh, but a little bit, but like, you know, they fixed that. I see the reason that they're not paying him any money is because that, um, they had three, uh, reasons for, uh, gross misconduct one was the fact that he did the interview without permission which you know I'm fairly sure that like nobody gets fired for that in English football anymore because they're doing it all the time <laughs> the second one is that he said he didn't respect the manager and that is like absolutely bring the club into dispute fine you gotta go can't do that and then uh, the third one was that he walked down the tunnel and refused to come on but they made peace with him after that if you were gonna fire him for that you had to fire him straight away you can't make peace with him then so oh we've changed our minds we don't like you anymore and we're gonna fire you for that so I don't know I think, um. De Ronaldo in the last year uh, is a dose. He was a Ronaldo, dose. De Ronaldo was a dose when he arrived. He's been a dose the whole time. Yeah, but he and was. He was a dose when he was a kid. But he was young and. Doing his ridiculous step overs. He was always a dose. You can't say that he just learned that he was a dose. Yeah, but Ronaldo now thinks he's oh, a better footballer than he came is. To light. It did not. No, but like. No, no just, new information. The rug was
2: always there, buddy. He's on the wind in his career and he doesn't understand that and, and, and he can't accept that. Whereas when he was 23, 24, he was still in his prime. He was unbelievable. Oh, yes.
0: Yeah. So you, were, you were just using him to get the best out of him and then throwing him aside like a piece of meat. Anyway, we've got to move on because the big news is that Man United are officially for sale. We've yeah. known this. We've been talking about this, really, for a long period of time. And in the papers, in all the pieces that have been written about this, there's a, a, a bond trader or um, a financier, a hedge fund manager... who is quoted as saying, all the clubs are always for sale if the money is right. And that's the truth to all of this, right? The one thing that happens in the clubs that get sold quickly is that you don't really know they're for sale until the deal happens. This is going to be a very interesting time for Manchester United because if you are one of Manchester United's best players or if you're their manager and you're starting to do very well, what happens when a club gets sold? What happens when any sports team gets taken over by new owners? How long does it take for them to install the man that they want to be in charge. Not very bloody long. That's the truth. So, if you're Ten Hag, you're like, right, great. I've just uh, just got control of this. Just got rid of my biggest headache. And now, officially, the club is up for sale. Which means that if we don't qualify for the Champions League, who can I convince to sign without them thinking, well, you're not going to be the manager here for very long. So, uh, there is this the official statement? Manchester United, one of the most successful historic sports clubs in the world, announces today that the company's board of directors is commencing a process to explore strategic alternatives for the club. That's code. It's for sale. The board will consider all strategic alternatives, including new investment into the club, a sale or other transactions involving the company. This will include an assessment of several initiatives to strengthen the club, including stadium and infrastructure redevelopment. Get that new jacuzzi. And expansion of the club's commercial operations on a global scale, which are pretty big already. Uh, each in the context of enhancing the long-term success of the closed men's, women's and academy teams and bringing benefits to fans and other stakeholders. So how quickly this will happen, I don't know. It's it Maybe they're announcing this because something is imminent or maybe they're announcing it because they want to have an auction and see how big the price can go. The prices quoted are eye-watering. They're significantly bigger than the prices that um, Chelsea managed to generate. Obviously, Manchester United are a much bigger brand and some of the people who are interested in Chelsea were actually... Apparently more interested in Man United. So there's a, there is a possibility somebody buys this out of vanity. That's true. There's also the possibility that the only people who can really afford this are uh, gulf funded money. So Manchester United fans, with that quiver of excitement that you're getting rid of the Glazers, be careful what you wish for. Yeah,
2: I think the timing of it is is significant enough. Like the Gulf World Cup is ongoing. Um, I saw someone like investors, finance finance guys talking yesterday about the fact that they think because this global economic downturn could be upon us that the the peak price of of these top clubs is is about to reach its it's zenith, so maybe now is the time to put something out there on the ether. They're going to get the biggest price they could possibly get.
0: Yeah, I think that, between five and nine billion. Well, so there's a bit of a difference between five billion and nine billion. Yeah. You could buy a lot for four billion in between, wouldn't you? <laughs> you think you'd be able to like buy a lot for the difference? So that spread is huge. Yeah, and it's not very. It's obviously not very well thought out. No, like if you were to guess the price of Man United without having any access to their financials. You know, you might guess five. I might guess nine, and we could charge a lot of money. It turns out to be the advisors for this deal. Yeah, try and try and get a bit more money there, lads. Uh, what do you think?
2: Yeah, the, the nostalgia element that you mentioned could could get someone in to buy. Like, as soon as this was announced last night, like United United's uh, share price on the New York Stock Exchange rose by seventeen percent. You know, added an extra four hundred million to the to the capital. Um... I don't know what it means for January signings, uh, with the club being up for sale, potentially up for sale. Like the the quotes from Avram and Joel Glazer, and let's not forget that love United, hate Glazers has been one of the phrases that's, that's done the rounds at Old Trafford for the last, what, 17 years since they took over in 2005. But Avram and Joel, in their statement, this will rile United fans up the wrong way, said, we remain fully focused on serving the best interests of our fans, shareholders and various stakeholders. That is nonsense. I mean... That would be a first for the Glazers. Like they're
0: they are, they're scavengers essentially. Like they pay themselves I'm massive right, okay, dividends okay, year look, on year. Okay, I mean, they're, they're they're just business people. And hang on, like this is the the oh we we deserve better treatment because we're fans of this club. But you're not invested in the club. Well, the stadium's I, falling
2: apart. The, I, the training I, ground needs a jacuzzi. The fucking squad is. No one had a
0: lot of money invested. Yeah, in but it. they have not won the Premier League
2: since 2013.
0: Yeah, that's not the Glazers' fault. That's the well. I'd you know, argue it's it's the manager's fault. fault. It's the football side of operations have been given enough money to compete against Manchester City and Liverpool, and they failed to do so. They don't back the managers enough in, in transfer. They back them loads. They ba- they,
2: the, this is nonsense. They back them loads. They, back, they, buy, they buy players that all, that they want to buy
0: almost. Ah, come on. Well, like Ronaldo was. They a, don't know anything about. They don't know anything about Bastian Schweinsteiger. Some clown decided this guy's got a good reputation and I I think blaming them for that gives Manchester United fans this kind of uh, weird sense of power it's like yeah we're standing up for the club but like it's not true like the the amount of money that was spent on the team was sufficient for the team to have been successful I think if you asked any United manager
2: since Ferguson you asked Moyes Mourinho van Gaal, uh Ragnick, Solskjaer any of them I don't Jose. think Jose I don't think any of them would have a positive thing to say about in in private but about the Glazers what
0: do you think what do you think the uh, manager of Liverpool says about the owners of Liverpool do you think he's like in private yeah they're great fellas they give me all the money I want because they don't seem to and yet he has managed to win a Champions League and a league yeah but like <laughs> can we uh, look I I think arguing about the Glazers is, yeah. is, is uh, roundabout Man United fans think disaster <laughs> uh, I think other people are like, yeah, they did make a lot of money. They took a lot of money off the table from the club. That's how business works. That's what all of the other owners are largely doing as well. Like, there's some talk that maybe PSG might be for sale. That maybe the Qataris have had enough. They've got what they want out of that. I don't, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens with that. There is one other possibility that it isn't just um, golf money. Maybe one of the big... Uh, media companies buys Manchester United Mm. so um, big news in in American corporate world on Sunday night Disney fired their chief executive and they brought back the old guy Bob Iger now this gets a little bit boring right but Iger was kind of this uh, revolutionary figure who brought in ESPN and acquired Marvel and a lot of other brands that you will be familiar with that has turned them like kind of turn Disney around into this absolutely most important uh, entertainment company in the Western world. Mm. Um, there's some talk that they might try and buy Netflix. Uh, Netflix is worth $127 billion, right. right? And if you were to try and buy it, I suspect you'd have to pay a bit more than that. Uh, Disney's worth $180 billion. Technically, Manchester United are only worth two and a half on the stock market. So one of those big super corporations could come in and buy Man United, and that might not be the worst thing, you know? That might be... That might be a vaguely acceptable corporate face of ownership where it's like, oh, uh, down with Disney. Uh, Screw you, Mickey Mouse. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Screw you, Netflix.
2: (laughs) Um, Well, it's, yeah. Didn't Jim Ratcliffe balk at the idea that United were worth 10.2 billion? And he was like, no, too much. Um, (laughs) Isn't Jim Ratcliffe that fellow who'd say that and then go, I got it for 10.1, I'm a genius? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe. Whoever the owner is, I think United fans will want someone who is going to, to invest. Who do you want? I don't know. What if it's a goal state? I mean, United fans are left in a position that a lot of clubs are being left in then. You're like, happy days. There's investment, but don't feel good about this. I mean... Would I, you stop supporting them? I wouldn't feel good if United were taken over by the Saudis. I really wouldn't. Um, look, you, I know there's still... like There are still Newcastle fans staging protests at games, at home games outside St James's Park. Uh, and insignificant numbers as well. So... You know, everyone says, oh, Newcastle fans have bought into the Saudis and sports washing works, but there's a hell of a lot of Newcastle fans who, who still don't feel good about the whole thing. Um, I will continue to protest until ugh, there's some signs of progress in terms of human rights in Saudi Arabia, and that's not, that's not coming anytime soon. So, I don't know, I, I, would, I wouldn't feel good about it. it. It remains to be seen. You almost feel it when a, when a big club is sold in this day and age that it is going to be a gulf, petrodollars... Uh, investment that, that buys it, but, I mean, there's plenty of options. It, it could be, as you say, a nostalgia purchase for someone who, who realises this is one of the you know
0: most famous clubs in the world. Yeah, well, look, there's the, definitely the vanity buyer there are vanity buyers out there, and the players will want to flush them out, and they want to flush the big corporate money out, and, I mean, I don't know. I, you, you're starting to see those um, American conglomerates come together that are fronted by... Uh, famous people who made money from you know, LeBron has been talked about as a potential future owner of a basketball franchise. Mm. Um we see was Diddy involved at one point. Uh there, there are a couple of other people who have been um definitely thinking about this and they they can be the front man and um the money will come from Wall Street and you'll never really know who it is. But that, all that has to get paid back. Like I think um Look, oh, we can get into the ownership structure and uh, and how that money is is wasted or used uh, again. But Supercan three five four says he was the final straw for the Glazers. Their final cash cow is gone, so they're cashing in. It's Ronaldo who did it. Ronaldo brought the Glazers down, even if he didn't mean it. He done the greatest favor of all. It was still a legend anyway. You see, this is this is it. Uh, Column is saying that he thinks that Ronaldo will be seen as a hero in time because of his comments about Glazers. Well,
2: that, that's probably the only part of the Piers Morgan interview that a lot of United fans were like, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> like, the other, uh, what was it, an hour and a half long? The other hour and 28 minutes were complete codswallop. And yet, that, that like, couple of minutes where he referenced the Blazers and spoke about the need for investment, United fans, I think, to a, to a man and woman were like, yep, yeah, fair enough. Makes sense. The only man that, the man that comes out of this smelling of roses is Eric Ten Hag. I know you say, he's, he's, look, the, the laser thing is... The, careful what you wish for. clock but is ticking. It,
0: clock's ticking, but I mean, he has come out of this. Yeah, so He's got it, rid of his biggest problem. In the in the long run, I think and if they can just put in six months of good football, then his reputation will absolutely soar. But he's doing it against the backdrop of the uncertainty of who the club's owners are going to be and how much investment it's going to be into the future and what the new owners will think about everything. Sorry, Bruno
2: Fernandes this morning, is delighted. Anthony Martial is delighted. Marcus Rashford is delighted. I'd say most of that squad is absolutely delighted that Ronaldo is gone. Because from look
0: outside looking in, toxic. All right. Check out the Lunchtime Wrap today, bringing you all the latest football news. It's with thanks to Deliveroo. Check out the app for some great match day meals, meal deals across the World Cup. Deliveroo, food, we get it. After this short break, we're live from Qatar with the one and only Graham Hunter. OTB. To Qatar for the first time today, Graham Hunter. Good morning to you. How are you? Buenos dias, chicos. Football, bloody hell, eh? Quiet twenty-four hours.
8: yeah, 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 yeah. You're talking to an Arabic country language, if you don't mind,
0: I've, I'm already in trouble this morning about that. So let's just start with the, the <laughs> Timeline of events goes from uh, Leo Messi opening the scoring and everything looking rosy to Ronaldo being fired essentially, and uh, the Glazers putting the club up for sale, and France reminding us that you know we're not just champions for no reason. I'd say when it comes, when the history of football comes to be written, those twenty four hours are going to be as seismic as anything we've actually seen in a long time. If if the club gets, it's, a corn- if it's gets, if you're not to get sold,
8: it, it's a it's a cornucopia, isn't it? It's an absolute biblical cornucopia of uh, fun. Where, where do you want me to start? Drop a pin, Ger, drop
0: well, a pin. I, the, the Glazers thing, I think, is um, is really interesting, right? Like, uh, football clubs being sold. Liverpool are up for sale. Manchester United are up for sale. Chelsea have just sold for quite a significant amount. There's loads of golf money interested in football. And I just, what, what like, what are you hearing? What do you think... What do, you, what do you think about all this?
8: The, 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 the first, you asked me what I'm hearing. The first thing to say is, if you, if you want to intertwine two of those stories, let everybody be clear I have this is a matter of fact. In the summer, Eric Ten Hag's coaching staff, sufficient numbers of the senior players who were consulted, other staff who were at United that Ten Hag inherited, all said, it's time not get him out. No, we despise him. It's time to move him on. And the Glazers said no. It was absolutely 100% a decision by the owners that Cristiano Ronaldo must stay. So the mess that you were talking about uh, and, and how people will feel w- was caused by the owners. Um, as far as the Glazers are concerned, having read the statement, I think that w- because they've been so despised for their leeching of money, and despised by people who are beyond Manchester United fans. I'm not. If you were one, the, the level of desperation must have been high because any big club run in a way where it's tied its bootlaces together, which they have, ineptitude of appointments, ineptitude of uh, signings, vast wastes of money and money being leached out the back door to pay the owners the dividends. That's that's an implosion situation, and, and therefore far, in my opinion, far, far beyond the idea of not being competitive in the Champions League, not being competitive to win the title, having to work hard to make top four, all of these things could have become the tip of the iceberg. The whole, the whole entity could have been shriveled into a prune, and financial problems could have easily come their way. So... In my opinion, we have to be analytically very careful about what's being said. It does look as if it's up for sale, but will they sell? Will they change their mind? Will the buyer be the right one to satisfy the needs of the club, which is dynamism, planning, experience, a change in how they view the profitability of owning a club, or do they need profit? And for Manchester United fans who have been lashing out at City's owners or Newcastle's owner or PSG's owner, are you about to be in a city? the same? You know, this is a, a a story which is it's very, very, very early gestation. There are many, many layers, and it's beyond just careful what you wish for because there there will be an array of options coming in the direction of Old Trafford, and it's not it's not for sure that the Glazers will sell. I don't think I don't believe from what we've read so far, and and therefore it's a very very complex story. And in the meantime, I suspect it means. Uncertainty and disruption at Manchester United, uncertainty and disruption in Leonardo Scaloni's camp. Too, um, each game needs to be looked at in its own merits. So, talking wholly generically is wrong. But there are some wider context conclusions you can draw. Uh, Without being parochial, I go back to Spain, Switzerland in the first game of 2010, and not the fact that Spain then won the tournament, not Argentina can, but. When you get um, a relatively skillful side in relatively good nick, but which is full of top-level players who are a little bit tired, a little bit jaded, and are a little bit smaller than their opponents, it, it starts to even things out. Saudi Arabia, in particular positions, particularly in the nine up front, very, very good. Two goals, exceptional. Their tactics, exceptional. Bigger, stronger, quicker all over the park, totally committed. These gaps can narrow consistently, and while Iran and Saudi are different footballing ideas and different individual footballers, it did, to my taste at least. Well, I'll give a little anecdote. Yesterday, I was um, taking Luis Enrique Martinez, the Spain coach, from um, a flash interview area where where people do um, interviews standing up to I was granted a studio. Uh, so, there's a television studio in the in the state in the. International Broadcasting Centre where the press comments were taking place. And once he was behind the scenes, we got on unreasonable. He sort of leapt on me, put his arm around my shoulder, and I wouldn't do the Spanish. How's it going, Graham? England, whatever, England, last night, they were exceptional. I was like, mate, mate, hold on. I was dressed in an Iran strip. I'm Scottish. Yeah, okay, fair point, fair point, fair point. Luis Enrique, my point, apart from his little joke, was he was exhilarated by what he watched when he saw England playing. And... So the four teams are not identical, but it does cast in very strong light the way in which England remorselessly were on form, fit, dynamic, pretty ruthless in when their their power plays of goals came in comparison to Argentina. So it's a broad brush, Shane, because four different nations, but there are still wider conclusions to draw about what, lesser understood, lesser research teams can do to the bigger sides who, who come jaded and need, after all their intensive concertina league campaigns, who need time to get their momentum
0: rolling. So um, you, you brought up England there, right? One, one thing um, that might happen here is that like we've, we've seen with Southgate, he plays that f- uh, style of play, that formation against teams who he thinks he's going to beat. But if, for example, he was to come up against Spain later in the tournament, he's probably going to stick in another defender and weaken the side significantly. Maybe they'll be hard to beat, but the chance of them winning that game in normal time suddenly uh, lessens. And it's interesting to hear that Luis Enrique is like, actually, this is amazing. They were really good playing like that.
8: He was bubbling. He was absolutely bubbling. And look, that's a big can of worms you've opened. I I did on my podcast a real piece of analysis that I'm I'm, I'm genuinely proud of after the Italy final. And I think there are things that are endemic, inbuilt in Gareth Southgate that limit him a little bit. I think he's done, and I said this before, I'll repeat, it it was evident in Russia, as a guy who's come in and analytically assessed what was in front of him, the problems he suffered as a footballer with England, the problems that his, his elite footballers, and he does have many of them, are suffering. The way in which the media, ham- English media, genuinely hampered the confidence and the exuberance of certain players. He, he, uh, the, the squad feeling, if, if I can use that phrase, of, of unity, enjoyment of being together. He came in and, and with a scalpel. He, he rebuilt everything that was the dead weight that England's football team had to be dragging, and then he's got in significant numbers of his very good players, understanding his ideas, relatively motivated to play for him, and on form, and no longer. I, I was England correspondent in the nineties, and, and it's hard to believe for multimillionaires even then they were multimillionaires, but the the the, the repetitive wearing down nature the tabloids turning on them and hammering them, and their family's been sad and their friends been sad and your dad and mum being outraged. That was, that was co- utterly corrosive on split second decision. Do I, do I take the shot? Do I make this pass? Do I want to go? He's changed all of that. Is he in those moments that you've begun to outline, uh, we're game one, Joe, we have to be careful, but in the crucial moments of how do I play this big opponent? What's my team? I think often with time to plan, he's quite good. If you look at the way they attack um, Italy or Croatia and the opening stages of the semi final of the World Cup, the final of the Euros, it's all there. In game management, during the game, when it's, you're on the touchline, you're not watching a video, it's hurly burly, you're drawing conclusions, and you're having to tighten your sphincter going back to your football <laughs> bloody hell and say, yeah, this is what I know what we're doing. This is what we're doing. That's where I think there's a
0: lack. Does it have an influence, do you think, on Luis Enrique's approach, watching other teams in the World Cup be so no, effervescent? No,
8: no, Easiest answer you'll ever ask me for. Um, no, he has no... I've I interviewed him twice since we arrived. Twice he said, we're daring, we're ambitious. Ambition to me means we play every team the same way. We will, We will not die of fear. If we die, we'll die of ambition, of not being good enough. Front foot, attack, entertain, aggressive. We want the world to watch us. Uh, he, there is absolutely no question that that part of his philosophy will never change, irrespective of which club or nation he's managing or who's in front of him. The the ideology of me or the, the concept of maybe, might it be 3-4-3 three, three today or might it be, it uh, won't be if 2 uh, four two three one. Those things, retouches, yes. But he lives by, and again, over, like, I've, I've maybe had five interviews in the last 18 months, one-on-one with him. He has three watchwords. Attack. Pressurize. Ambition. He picks, he says, he always says he picks his team based on how can each of these players attack? Each of them. And then... When we don't have the ball, I want my teams to press the other team until we get them. Not high, not the, the press that we saw with Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. There are various different styles of, of it. But anybody who will not pressurise an opponent and pressurise in groups will, won't play for him. And ambition is at them. Get at them every minute. And, and if, if we're 1 0 up with six minutes remaining, attack. Don't bank. Don't be conservative. Attack. So it's a simple answer to your
2: question. Uh, uh, Graham. I guess when you look at some of the groups and you look at some of the pathways that could come out of it in terms of last 16 and quarterfinals, topping the group could be very important in terms of setting your own pathway and, and avoiding some of the big guns. Like when you look at Spain's group, a lot of people kind of talking about Germany coming in under the radar. Um, look, Costa Rica game today, you'd imagine, even though like, I had totally forgotten about Costa Rica, topping a group of death with Italy, England and Uruguay back in 2014, one of the great shocks. Like what? What's the general vibe in Spain? Is it that that Germany are are no Germany of old, or that you know that that they, they can go on ahead and push on and win this group quite comfortably and, and maybe push on from there?
8: See, it's hard to talk to you about the general vibe in Spain. I've been here in Qatar now ten days. Um, clearly, I speak to media colleagues who are Spanish. I've read the today's football press. Do you know? There's almost no mention of the rivals or the group of death. Um, The general attention is on this baby Spain. Mm. There is a a wide understanding that this Spanish group, albeit it's very, very junior. I think average age, am I right? Might it be the youngest squad in the tournament on average age? I think so. Um, And therefore... I think there's a record over the months since the draw, Shane, there's been a recognition that if Spain don't beat Costa Rica, this is one of those groups that they might not go through. And I think that other nations will do well to look at Spain as we hope they trip up in the group because if they get momentum, they can be dangerous. I don't um, ascribe to, there's been lots of studies and statistical modelling and all this kind of stuff that says Spain are the second favourites behind Brazil and it's going to be Spain in the final. Honestly, having been at eight World Cups now in various guises, I I think Spain lack a killer goal scorer. They're very slender, very lithe, very young and and I'm not certain that they they portray as as winners. But in terms of the Spanish media's appreciation of the rivals, they've become inward looking. The Spanish media and the fans have begun to enjoy this Spain side. They've begun to believe because of um, semi-final Euros, beaten finalists in the Nations, the first side to qualify for two um, final fours in the Nations League, Th- there's a general belief that it-, it can be fun to be involved in Spain again, and-, and that's been paramount ahead of thinking about Costa Rica, Germany or Japan, And but that phrase Shane, does not apply to the analysts, I've been talking to the analysts at Spain. And they, they think they've got a very complicated job not only to beat these sides and go through, but to change the styles that Spain will need to or the tactical ideas that Spain will need to use in in to play three very, very different rivals. Uh
0: what did Enrique think of um Messi? He hadn't he had, had it was before the Saudi Arabia game.
8: Yeah, by that stage um he, he hadn't seen it. I, I doubt he'll have had a chance to see anything except the highlights there. They're, you might know by now they're living next door to one another. Um, they're, I mean, both of them have spoken about the other recently because of that tempestuous time they had in in, in the move from 2014 to 2015 when David moyes Real Sociedad beat Barcelona and there was a stand-up, you know, chin-to-chin, chin, <laughs> not quite punches, but, you know, finger-jabbing between Luis uh, Enrique and, and Leo Messi. So they live in Qatar University, the training pitches, and what's called the University Hostel, are Right next door to each other, Argentine, Argentina and Spain, with Holland a hop and a skip away. It's a vast, complex Qatar university with really, really good training facilities. And they don't need to share cornflakes over the breakfast table because they are distinct buildings, but they could lean out the window over the washing and shout, All right, mate, all right, gaffer. Could do if they wanted to.
0: Um, what did you make of the Argentina performance? Like, is Is that the bit where you're thinking about Spain and the Swiss defeat and thinking, okay, they just need to calm down and and batten down the hatches?
8: It was odd, um, not just that they were beaten, but that they were beaten having taken the lead. Um, I I think if you unravel the the names and go backwards from the expectation that because they were three years unbeaten, and because Messi's been on form for Paris Saint-Germain, if we unravel all that and simply look at the, type, the two types of teams, it, in any game we cover, in any time you're at a Premier League game, any time you know it's Villa v Everton, whatever you want to call it, when, when you when you're beaten by two extraordinary goals, and I think each of the goals are pretty extraordinary. Emi Martinez is a good goalkeeper, threw everything up, both of them couldn't get there. Um, when you're hit by sucker punches like that, that that. That takes some of the juice out of the analysis about were Argentina tactically wrong or were any of them absolute rubbish. The, the, the effervescence uh, wasn't there. The ability to squeeze the game wasn't there. And there is no way you can look back on the previous three years of Argentina and Scaloni and say, well, that means it's all a myth. It was all a mirage. In my opinion, that I, I, I don't know if it was whose famous British commentator goals change games when you're when you're sucker punched by two brilliant goals like that, I think it takes the wind out of your sails. It when you're suffering for energy, it makes it worse. If you look at their performance, particularly Depaul, and if you look at the way in which it, it was, Saudi were quite good at nullifying Messi. It emphasises again how much Argentina rely on Messi to do special things, which is now special passes, tempo controlling, the occasional goal, a brilliant free kick. It, and, and when, if you looked at DePaul caught my eye a lot, he's been lethargic and not very influential for Atleti. I felt it was the same way again uh, yesterday. They looked like a team which needed um, fizz, which needed energy, and not conviction or quality or, or self-confidence, but, but energy. And I say again that those big teams that, that draw on players who've been, who've been thrashed. In their domestic season, to get to get the, as many games played as possible, to get here, they need to pick up momentum, and and that's why that first game now for Spain today, it, it, Germany against Japan can have a similar paint to Saudi um, against Argentina. I expect Germany to win, but for for Spain against Costa Rica, there is abs- Costa Rica are are in certain positions taller than Spain. Set plays become very interesting. Costa Rica have appointed a a coach whereby the first half of the qualifying campaign won them two points. The second half of the equivalent number of games, they they took 19 points. Um, Joe Campbell is the reference point up front, but um, Luis Fernandez Suarez appointed young guys and said to Kayla Navas, back me, bring them through. So they have nothing to fear. They're young, very quick. They're on a great run of form and physically they can maybe try to do some of the same things. Luis Suarez said yesterday, I want to make it uncomfortable for Spain. So that first game phenomenon, and I think Spain have only won four of their first games in all of their World Cups. So it, what we saw for Argentina yesterday, I don't think it's going to be a unique experience.
2: Graham, um, we're not going to stop talking about Kylian Mbappe to Real Madrid until it happens, um, I mean, watching him last night and if there was any doubts as to whether or not he was going to light up this World Cup if France go deep, I mean, every time he touched the ball last night you just felt like something was going to happen. Albeit the the opposition in Australia wasn't uh, world beaters. But um, are the top brass in in Madrid just licking their lips watching him at this World Cup?
8: No. Not at all, Shane. No. Um, Will Mbappe move to Real Madrid? Yeah, maybe. But let's be crystal clear. There are two Primary objectives are Haaland and Bellingham. And that's for this summer coming. That's who they want to sign. That's who they believe they've got a chance of signing. My personal opinion is I don't think they get either of them. But while Mbappe, uh, Florentino Perez is a pragmatic man. He didn't used to be, he used to be an absolutist. Over 20. well not 22 years he came in in 2000 he missed about a year so let's call it over just about 21 years of being president he's he's had to learn that occasionally you 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 you're flexible you adapt but the way in which mbappe has now three times turned them down has they're a haughty club Shane, you know that they they, they they're aristocratic they they they're deeply stung by being rejected and therefore it's only if they don't get Holland that the idea of signing Kylian Mbappe will come back on the table. And at the moment, they, they, they definitely have not renounced the idea that they might tempt Holland away from City. I personally cannot see how or why that would happen. And I think City probably also beat them to Bellingham. So Real Madrid may have to rejig and, and, and rethink their plans, particularly the way in which... Benzema's best ever season probably has been followed by one of his most injury hit seasons. So, yeah, but if you want my appreciation of Mbappe, um, I think he's not far from being the most exciting footballer, not striker, um, on the planet. I absolute dote on him. I go back, I can't even remember how many years to John Collins' interview. um, uh, It's several years ago, and he said, listen, at Monaco, there there are some and brilliant kids coming through. There's um, there's this guy, Silva. There's this guy, Mondi. Well, look what happened to him. And there's this guy, Mbappe, who they say, and this, was in, this would have been Mbappe's first season at Monaco. And John Collins is so linked to that club and knows so much about them. He said, they are saying at this stage already that he can be better than Thierry Henry. So many years forward, he's an extraordinary athlete, does things at great pace, and there are moments when he reminds me of Ronaldo Nasario. Not identical in any way, but I haven't seen a player that made me think of Ronaldo Nasario so much since Kylian Mbappé.
0: Uh, congratulations on the documentary, by the way. I'm not sure everybody knows that you're uh, involved with it, but um, we had the director on last Thank week. You. He was uh, great as ever. It's, Duncan um,
8: McMath is a genius, Ger. Get him on every week.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was actually thinking if we could just engineer a way to like just pick his football brain or his um, random thoughts and stuff it would be good yeah so he was excellent come here i the, the other ronaldo um before we let you go cuz you've been very good with your time uh, he gets what he wants united kind of get what they want and that they don't have to spend any money uh, certainly the football side of the club get what they want i'm sure uh, team viewer are like oh my god again again more of this <laughs> uh, which you know that that relationship seems um like it's on the on the rocks anyway so uh, I, I don't know. what What's next for him and this grand soap opera? Is there a European club who will give him what he wants?
8: I don't think that's the question. Ah, oh, we'll give him what he wants. There's an... it. Okay, nicely phrased, sorry. It, it's, to my mind, it's the uh, immovable uh, object and the irresistible force because the irresistible force is Cristiano saying, I want to play elite Champions League football. And the middle logic is the clubs that can give him that predominantly don't need him or want him. Now, I will say that um, Todd Bowley wanted Cristiano Ronaldo in the summer. Fact. At that point, um, he spoke to all the people he's brought in, and he's acting sporting director as well as owner, and there was a broad consensus and Tuchel was dead set against it. When... Christian Pulisic um, understood that um, Tuchel was out and Potter was in, Pulisic's people spoke to the owner. And the owner said, Potter will give him a fair chance. He'll be told we, he's an American, he's going to the World Cup, he's the men's team leader, blah, 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 blah. And Graham Potter has, been, has done it exactly as he saw fit with Christian Pulisic, rather than going, I've got American owners who want Pulisic in the team more, They're not directly interfering in the team selection, but they've made it clear that they'd like him to feature. And Potter's done his own thing, by which I extrapolate. that Graham Potter, for as long as he feels um, either secure at Chelsea or feels, I don't care, I'm going to do it my way, I think will continue to resist um, Cristiano Ronaldo. So there's one of the minor possibilities gone. Are people people at Paris Saint-Germain who know they're going to lose Mbappé are they crazy enough to bring in Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, and pair him with Messi? My opinion is they are, I'm not saying they will, but they're, it's a never-ending piece of nonsense about what they're willing to do. They've got a very good sporting director now who's on part-time um, money because he also wanted to stay sporting director at Santa Vigo and they're ignoring him and I think that relationship's going to break. So, it, it's going to be an oddity if one of the clubs that can give Cristiano Ronaldo what he wants, which is elite level, chances to increase his appearances and, uh, and his goals in the Champions League, give him uh, an open door. But and the key to your question is, does Cristiano Ronaldo now look differently in the mirror and reassess himself and say, I have to continue in my training regime, my ambition, my, my attitude, but Tailor my demands a little bit, and if he does, then maybe there's a place for him. If he doesn't, then I I think he's going on a on a farewell tour of an Arabic, rich petrol driven, uh, oil driven, you know, Arabic league or or the MLS.
0: Graham, great stuff. Thanks a million. Enjoy your World Cup, lads. You too. Take care. Talk soon. That's uh, Graham Hunter live in Qatar this morning. Um, It was when you think about it, like. One of the biggest clubs in the world are up for sale. The most famous footballer of the last generation, most famous athlete in the world gets sacked. The best footballer ever loses the opening game of the World Cup and the current best footballer reminds everybody, screw you, I'm the superstar. Pretty mad day, wasn't it? It was, when you think about it. Like, can <laughs> you put it in the context it's... of like, boom, 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 boom. Literally from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., just things were happening in a 12-hour in a period. Was David Clifford was named captain for next year. Like, that's <laughs> the actually the biggest story of the day yesterday. It's yeah. like David Clifford will be the one making the speech next year. The real goat. Like, yeah, if, there yeah. was, if there was anything else that uh, Kerry could have done to just provoke the dubs into going... It's like... <laughs> Ah, okay. Uh, everybody is feeling themselves with that. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be good to see next year. And
2: inevitably, as he walks up the Hogan steps and takes the inevitably,
0: speech. Inevitably, is it? I we'll mean, see. all the best players always... It, it takes them a while to get to that stage. Anyway, we're brought to you live each morning with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Up next, Jess Kelly's back in studio to tell us about the best deals that you can get this Black Friday week. First, here's Marcella mora Irojo speaking with Will last night on the show, reflecting on Argentina's already famous, infamous loss to Saudi Arabia. Take a look.
9: Maybe it's good that it was this early on. And there's no shame in, in as I say, in the performance today. You know, there's no real recrimination. I think maybe Di Maria, Tagliafico, Tamendi looked a little bit like they weren't up to the whole 90 minutes. But then in came these young you know, Enzo Fernandez and Julian Alvarez, and they were just so confident the very first minutes on a World Cup stage. So it's all evening out, and, and it could well be not the end of the world, and not the end of the tournament, and not a disaster. But even if Argentina do not uh, go on to, to lift the cup, which now has to be assessed with very realistic odds, that what Messi has achieved is 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 good enough, and also his um, attitude in this World Cup, coming into it and after the game today. There was a few tense minutes which felt like hours after the game when they weren't appearing in the mix zone. Nobody quite knew what was going on. Nobody was speaking. There were loads of Argentinian journalists pitch side and mix so expectant. And Lautaro Martinez spoke immediately, very composed because he, he had, a, you know, disallowed goals and he was quite calm but then no one else and I, I thought oh my god Messi might just disappear for days now which is what happens in 2018 when he wasn't speaking to anybody and yet nobody knew what he was thinking but then he did come and spoke calmly and to lots of journalists and said look this happens it's football we're going to be fine and then he since issued a statement saying to the Argentinian people don't worry we're not going to leave you you know um, out of this trust us so I guess it, there's a sense of a working group, and perhaps that's a that's a good thing, and 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 it'll all come together.
0: The ever brilliant Marcella Mora Irojo speaking at will last night on the football show. You can get that in the LTB football feed. Now Jess Kelly is with us um, in much publicly demanded there was at least two tweets going where's Jess coming I was like it was one tweet that
10: I replied to there
0: you go (laughs) your burner account yeah 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 (laughs) that was enough it was a real real person yeah how are you I'm good how are you Uh, good Black Friday yeah Um, uh, the Cyber Monday thing was something I had completely forgotten about until earlier this week when um, you're like it's not just this day so Do we we take the risk of not buying something on Friday in the hope that it's going to fall further on Monday?
10: Well, the reality is Black Friday is now sort of a two or three week period. It's Mm. not just a day. So many brands start pushing stuff out from like last Monday and will continue to do so. What brands are trying to do, because they're a little bit clever, is they might do special flash offers on Cyber Monday. So you might get an extra 10% off or brands that didn't engage in Black Friday because it's got a bit of a bad PR now uh, will do stuff on Cyber Monday. I don't know what the distinction is. Uh, but I think if, if you're on the hunt for something, I think a lot of the deals are out there at the moment.
0: Okay. I want to buy Pizza Oven, right? And uh, one of the ones has 20% off. And I'm like, that's very good. Mm. That's very good. But if on, if on Monday, if I fell it on Friday and on Monday it's 30% off. <laughs> would you not just return
10: it and then buy it again on no, Monday? Oh, you could do that. <laughs> you're right, Oh, you know.
0: yeah. Never okay. thought of that. Do you know? Ah. <laughs> that's why Jess is here, by the way. There you go. We, we, that's the bit we've clipped. You can you, you don't even need to do the next 50 Top minutes if you don't yep. want to. Okay, okay. I hadn't even thought about that. Mm, excellent. Okay, excellent decision. Yep. Yeah, Grant. So stole the ball until Monday if you really. Yeah, look. Sorry, uh, buy first and then if you get a better one.
10: Yeah, you can you can do that little switcheroo. Like what I would say is like the, the actual top tip is that not everything that has a sale sticker on it is actually a sale. I've been doing a ton of research the last few days and it's amazing the price disparity between different outlets. All of them are saying, you know, we have a great deal. This is our Black Friday deal. But there is, you know, on headphones, for example, there could be 40 or 50 euro in the difference between the sale price in one outlet and then in another outlet. So the onus is on you to make sure that you're shopping around as much as possible mm. and even checking the different deals and reading the fine print in the deals as well, because, you know, it may be a case that it's a web exclusive. So you have to, whereas if you drive to a store to try and get it, it could be a different price in store. So just be mindful of those little things.
0: Okay. Uh, that, that is also uh, other excellent advice. And then the last thing to watch out is that some people are like, uh, you buying stuff at this weekend that's actually last year's stock and then new stock is going to be in afterwards. But like, in some cases... It
10: really doesn't matter. Like, I spend most of my time reviewing devices and very often it's like the next iteration. So prime example, iPhone 14, not a massive difference between the iPhone 14 and the iPhone 13. You could say the same with a lot of the headphones that are out, a lot of the wearables that are out. Yes, there are small differences, Mm. but unless it's going to make a massive impact to you, Do you really need it? Another example is the Apple Watch. So I wear the Apple Watch SE. I bought the Apple Watch 6 and I gave it to my mum because the features on it I didn't really need. I don't think she does either. But anyway, Uh, but the the latest Apple Watch has incredible technology. If you are an athlete, which I'm not, (laughs) if you are someone with multiple medical conditions and you want extra insight into like fall detection, for example, or uh, ECG readings, I don't need that. So why would I spend six or seven hundred quid on something that I could get for two hundred quid and it does the majority of the stuff that I needed to do. So don't be swayed by the newest models. Don't be swayed by deals that aren't actually deals and just do your research. Like the key thing that people always say, because some people hate the idea of Black Friday because it's just pushing consumerism. If you weren't going to buy it anyway, don't buy it on Black Friday.
0: Yeah uh that's i mean that's the whole power of consumerism isn't it that they're like oh they have this uh, retina display i really need retina yeah, display yeah. What, <laughs> what is, is a this? retina display you know. yeah, no i know it's bonkers uh, but i do remember there was like a period of time where i was like on the verge of buying um an an apple laptop or whatever it's called macbook and uh it was the marketing had just got to me yeah it had been like this kind of decade long this is the nicest thing in the world and you don't have it everybody yes. else has this you you must have it and then the retina display thing came in. i was like I actually still don't really know what it means the the screen looks a little bit clearer maybe it
10: is it it comes down to screen clarity but
0: if you have 21 21 vision you might be able to spot the difference
10: but it's the same with the iPad now as well I was looking around and a lot of the deals in a lot of the big retailers are for last year's basic iPad so you can now get a basic iPad for just over 300 quid or you can get this year's model for around 400 quid there's not a massive difference the screen is slightly bigger it's slightly clearer does the average consumer care the answer is no most of the texts that I get into Newstalk all the time looking for tablets are for parents and grandparents, either for kids to watch a bit of whatever they're watching yeah. or for grandparents to do a bit of online shopping, the odd email and keeping in touch with people. Yeah. Do they need Notion screens? No.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, excellent advice. Right. What are the offers?
10: So I have. Uh, Headphones. So I'm a big fan of in-ear headphones. I wear them all day, every day. And my favorites are still Samsung, but we've moved on from the Galaxy Buds Live, which were top of my list the last few years. And these are the Galaxy Buds 2 Pro. They're usually 239 Euro. They're on sale at the moment for 199, both on Samsung's website and in Harvey Norman. This is one of the ones that's on sale in another retailer, but for 40 or 50 quid more expensive. So just be mindful when you're shopping around. These are great because they're very comfortable when they're in your ear. They have noise cancelling and the audio quality is deadly. They're also really useful for pairing to multiple devices. So I can connect it to my laptop and to my phone. So you can switch between them uh, when you're going around the place, depending on what you're doing. And they connect seamlessly. So I really like these.
2: I saw something mad the other day. Do you know the in-ear, so the in-ear headphones with the headphones built around it? Yeah. And I was like, this is mad. This is total noise. Yeah, Absolutely. that's for
10: like, if you're su- if you're on my level of, you know, super social awkwardness, that's grand. But again, <laughs> for the majority of people, I don't think you need it. The, yeah. the noise cancellation that are built into these are great. And the good thing about these ones and a lot of the different ones that are out there now is that you can long press on them and it'll give you that ambient noise. So if you're walking down the street and don't want to be completely in your own little world, yeah. it's good to have some of that ambient noise coming in.
0: Um, does it tell you when they're about to wear down on? Yes. Because what I noticed about the um, Apple. AirPods. Uh, when you're using uh, um, an Android phone, they don't tell you. They just wear out.
10: Yeah, there are certain features that if you move outside of the ecosystem of the brand of headphones, you don't get the full shebang. So for example, I'm using these ones uh, and I'm using an iPhone. So you're not getting all of the elements, but it does make this little sort of ding I suppose to tell you that when the battery is going down um, which is not great and you can also uh, find them if you lose them as well if you lose one or two of them you can call them and you'll be able to find them
0: okay okay um, better than the Apple ones?
10: yeah 100% I, 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 I don't like the Apple ones at all
2: the Jabra Elite are the ones I use running like I assume they're good for yeah, jogging or whatever. As yeah, well, and like.
10: the the good thing with this, so I have last year's version, which is the buds Pro, and then I've got the buds two, and the design of these is so much better. They're much more that they're much smaller, and they sit more securely in your ear as well. Um, so yeah, no, they are, and they're you know all terrain proof as well. So if you're out in the rain or whatever like that, you'll be grand.
0: Okay, so the Samsung Galaxy Buds Two Pro are on offer at the moment at 199 quid on Samsung's website and Harvey Norman. Yeah, the Huawei Watch Fit Two.
10: Yeah, again, people have this in their head that they have to spend hundreds and hundreds of euro on a wearable.
0: I mean, that doesn't look very different from the other, uh, like the one you have, which is an Apple one.
10: No, and that's why I love this one. So this, firstly, the normal price is 150 quid. The best I've seen is around 120, and that's across retailers. Um, The screen on this is really nice. It's more uh, rectangular than square, so it takes up a good part of your wrist, but not in a bad way. It's very comfortable. Uh, It works with both iOS and Android. It'll do all the fitness tracking that you'd want, um, but it also gives you that smartphone functionality so you'll get your messages and stuff like that. So if you have someone who wants a watch and you don't want to spend hundreds and hundreds, this is definitely the way to go. Huawei is actually my favourite, I think, in terms of wearables at the moment because they also have one called the Huawei Watch GT3, which looks like a traditional watch. Uh, You can get it in a really nice gold strap if you're uh, conscious about the aesthetics of it. Battery life is great. The functionality of it's great. And again, it's a fraction of the cost mm. of what you're paying for the Apple or the Samsung watches.
2: 120 seems very good in comparison to like other... Smart watches. That seems very reasonable. But
10: I think, as you said about the MacBook, people get bamboozled by marketing, and they think that they need to have something because they see it pushed so much. Like Huawei, I don't think are great at marketing themselves, and obviously they had that little bit of snafu with the fallout with Google and America and all the rest, which damaged their phone side of things. But in terms of their accessories, they're killing it. Mm.
0: Okay, so the Huawei Watch Fit Two available for one hundred and twenty quid. And um, just to go back to the um, the buds, yeah. I I find that. Um, Certain people who I'm talking to on a semi-regular basis, are like what? What are you saying? I can't hear you. Are you on your earbuds again? Can't hear you. Is that you? Get a little bit of that? With
10: <laughs> no, not with these ones. Okay, and I, I I don't know if it's an AirPod thing. I don't like the AirPods for a few reasons. First, I don't find they sit as secure. But I also hate the bit that kind of like hangs down your jaw. I've got a giant jaw and I just feel like it kind of digs in and the noise it, it kind of picks up the rustly bits which I'm not mad about so I prefer the buds that kind of sit in your ear and are very comfortable
0: Humble brag Okay so TVs that's the other big thing the big ticket yes. items that people buy this time of year
10: Yeah this is where you can get good value and I think again it's easy to get bamboozles when you go into a store because if you look at a wall of TVs and they're all tuned to look as good as possible it's very difficult to see the distinction between one that costs 500 quid and one that costs 15 or two and a half grand so like the good news is it's kind of difficult to buy a bad tv at the moment they all kind of come now with very good screens smart interface and so on the one that i've reviewed recently it's a samsung s95b 55 inch 4k screen it's usually two and a half grand and the best price i've seen is 1600 euro in harvey norman
0: that's a massive reduction like you can buy a washing machine for the difference
10: 100 if you are looking to and look again I'm not being flippant about it it's a huge amount of money but if you're looking to invest this is a really good price it's also worth noting uh, if you buy directly from the Samsung website they're doing um, certain deals whereby if you I think it's if you buy a, t- a t- TV, you get a tablet free or something like that, or if you buy the phone directly from the website, you get a tablet free. So again, shop around because you might get more for your money. Uh, but that price is great. I we have a video of this on the News Talk YouTube, and it is one of the best quality pictures on a TV I have seen in a long time. They have the different modes, so if you're you know gaming or if you're watching sport or whatever it is, you can flick through. But the basic, the standard screen options are just incredible. Um, and I do think. Look, it's an investment, but if you have a big TV that you love and that can, you know, serve multiple purposes, then I think it is worth investing in. Uh, so that is a good deal.
2: Also, feel like well, you know, three weeks left of the World Cup. Perfect time to buy a. Yeah. You have still got plenty of time. Like to watch Ronaldo in tears as Portugal lose <laughs> in 4K on 55 inches. Yeah, and we, nice. the Women's
0: World Cup next summer as well. So yeah. you're going to get good value out of it. Um, I think uh, these opportunities to use an excuse to uh, buy yourself the best TV, get the biggest TV that your room can take.
10: Yeah, oh, 100%. percent. Don't underestimate the size of the TV, and remember that you know the bezels that the sort of screen around the screen has shrunk dramatically. So you're not getting that big border around screens anymore. You're yeah. getting full screen time. So I would go as big as you can, and I do think it's an investment <clears throat> because if you have a lovely screen, you're more likely to spend time with it. Well, and the cost per
0: use—that's what know, I do for everything. Mean, yeah. Exactly.
10: Are the, are
2: the curved TVs? Are they a gimmick, or is that natural, legit? The, Advantage.
10: it depends on what one it is we had a Samsung one I think Owen oh, Sheehan had one as well we got one last whatever the last big sporting tournament yeah, was the sports fan you, you
2: didn't get one should that have TV, I'm, I'm
10: telling you like. kid um, but no they are good I, I don't I don't see them as much as you know, they were around quite a bit in the last few years. I'm not seeing them as often now. So. That's the
0: one other thing is that the technology's reached a point now where the next big quantum leap seems so far away that actually you're not going to get stung buying something now and think, oh, I'm stuck with this TV. It has whatever. Yeah. No. So the last one here is a 43-inch TV.
10: Yeah, and this one is a good bit more affordable. Um, and it's usually priced between 460 and €550. Euro. The best price I've seen is €350. Euro. That's amazing. It's unreal. I had an LG for years and I love it. The interface on an LG is one of my favourites. This is 4K Ultra HD, HDR LED. And the key difference between all the letters and the acronyms that you see, you know, it depends on the type of screen. So OLED, for example, is the organic lights. That means the TV doesn't have to work as hard to light everything up. Everything is backlit. So the colours pop a little bit more. I would guarantee if I went around the office now and put the two TVs in front of the majority of people, they wouldn't be able to tell which one is which. Um, So if you're looking for a TV without breaking the bank, 43 inch is a decent size. So again, if you don't want a big cinematic screen to take over your entire living room or if you're looking for a TV for your bedroom and so on, uh, this is the one to go for.
0: All right. Good stuff, Jess. Thanks very much for that. Uh, Follow Jess on Twitter and on Instagram and listen to Jess every Saturday at 5. Indeed. There you go. Uh, It's 8.44 this morning. John Duggan is up next. OTBAM is brought to you live with Gillette in association with Movember. Effort to shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Here's Will, Mick, and Richie on last night's news, round talking about the madness of yesterday's World Cup action.
3: And after my anger yesterday, I want to say something really positive, right? Look at the kick clash in in this game France in their beautiful blue, white, and red, Australia wearing uh, gold and green. It's after years of monochrome World Cups enforced by, I don't know whether it be FIFA or the, uh, or the, um, the clothing companies or what it is, people, England wore navy shorts the other day, Argentina wore their black shorts, the, the, I'm absolutely, I think that we, we overlook colourblind issues when, when it comes to these things and we shouldn't and that that's wrong, but, um, in this case, it's like, there isn't an issue here. There's a predominantly uh, dark kit and predominantly light kit. And, light kit. Kit. Yeah. and th- teams are wearing the traditional kits again. And actually, do you know what? I know it sounds stupid, but I think that matters. I don't think Germany wearing all white is right at all. You know what I mean? And they won the 2014 World Cup you, 14, 14, in it, in you know? Shorts, yeah. yeah, I don't know. So anyway, that's just a small thing. But I think it's a positive thing, mean, and we don't have I, too many I of.
1: What you hear. Apparently, uh, Spain are going to be made, made wear all reds tomorrow. I don't know where that's coming from, but that's what I saw earlier on today. So that's going to ruin everything. <laughs> up until now,
3: up until now has been a I'll be shaking my fist show. again tomorrow, Richie. There you go, the praise is going to be <laughs> short-lived
0: on this one. Uh, John Duggan is with us. John, good morning to you. How are you? Jaron Chain? how's the form? Yeah, I mean, we were just saying yesterday, uh, 24 hours of sporting football madness in particular.
11: Yes, I watched the Phenomenon documentary late last night after I finished up my World Cup watching. So I just wanted a bit more... So I watched the uh, Ronaldo Nazario documentary. What was a beautiful piece of art.
2: Brilliant. That scene, Duncan McMath actually pointed out the scene, you know the scene where he's walking through the airport and he's getting absolutely mobbed uh, by fans and completely overtaken. I think they, they left it on screen for like 90 seconds, two minutes and he said he didn't want to cut any of that because he was like, I wanted to show people exactly what the phenomenon was and the obsession with him. It was just
0: unbelievable.
11: And you met him, Gerard, didn't you, a few years ago? Yeah,
0: yeah. At the Web Summit. Um, got about 15, 20 minutes backstage and then 10 minutes on stage and then we were at an event later on that evening and he showed up. Ronald Gino was at the event as well. It was it was a bit mad.
11: Get anything signed here?
0: No. I'm not really a so getting yeah, stuff signed. Yeah. I, maybe in respect, I should have. Yeah. Um, Make an exception for the likes of him. You two I know are like the <laughs> the chief collectors of the group. Member billionaires. Um, look it's uh, you know maybe I wish I had now. I have some nice photographs of the thing. It's oh, almost
11: like similar so in a
0: different yeah. way it's a similar
2: thing so. I'd be getting that frame, Jerry if I was you and, and hung on the mantelpiece. Photo uh, of you and Ronaldo.
0: Be uh, the Ronaldo. Uh, I don't know. That's not really that's not really. Uh, too vain? Well I have pictures of my kids around. Not you know. They're more important.
11: Yeah, but obviously yeah, I have a smaller photo of you and Ronaldo and the, kid, <laughs> the kids
2: to the forefront.
11: <laughs> uh, John, we just had Jess Kelly and are you a Black Friday? Have you I, been- I want to be, but I just don't I'm like I'm not very good at anything. So I want to be one of these people, but I just don't know what to do or where to even start. Well, you can listen back
0: to... Jess. Yeah, obviously
11: I will. Um, so um, I do think that um, the one piece of advice is uh, buy the biggest TV you can you can get. I have a very good TV at the moment. And uh, yeah, I have all the satellite mod cons, so... It's worth it, right? It is worth it. Uh, I remember I won a lot of money a long time ago and the first thing I did was I just bought everything satellite-wise and just like, will you just, just go and sort it out, will you? Like, Here's the money. Sort it. Teched up. That's the other bit is... Uh, Pay, pay a man to fix everything for yeah, you. So a, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, 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 the BBC are doing this interesting thing at the moment. I was kind of trying to work it out myself. The best ever World Cup eleven. Uh, I was going through who I'd have in my team. In history, history, history? Yeah, history, history. And it's very hard. Garincha, Didi, Vava, that 58 team. That, there you I go. And none of those are my team. There he go. goes. There you go. So th- that's how hard it is. They have to have won a World Cup or played in a World Cup? No, played, I think. Like Cruyff's in my team and he never won a World Cup. Obviously, and Lev Yashin's my goalkeeper. In I board mean, board. I
0: would play 1-1-1-8. One, 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 yeah. Eight. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I missing one?
11: Mm. Yeah. Um, so yesterday, lads, uh, when you're thinking about World Cup upsets, uh, Saudi Arabia versus Argentina, right up there. Um, they've got a public holiday now in Saudi Arabia. Today, they've, they've, had, they've called it. Uh, like, again,
0: thinking about the 24 hours of global football politics... The previous day, or maybe it was, 20, maybe it was 48 hours, the um, king of Saudi Arabia, is was it the king? Certainly somebody very important was sitting beside Jenny Infantino. MBS, yeah. So um, you're like, and then the team performs and backs that up. And now everybody's like, well, maybe Saudi Arabia should have a World Cup. It'll Why happen. should the people of Saudi Arabia be denied?
2: Denied. Well, that's one thing. The people have had, like, uh, Saudi Arabia has a massively young population, isn't it? A large percentage under the age of 35. And, like, football culture as well. Like, they qualify for the O2 World Cup, as we all know, and other World Cup. Like, they, they actually, at least, unlike Qatar, have a, a football culture of sorts compared to Qatar. Now, their country and their human rights record is about equally as abysmal, if not worse. So, there is that. But, um, it was still nice, I think, for the football world to watch an upset.
0: Yeah, look, it, absolutely, it's incredible. Like, to, to watch these teams be able to do that, like, it, it sets the World Cup on fire. It does, it does mean that everybody starts talking about football. And, uh, you know.
11: Uh so, what did I observe yesterday? You know, I, I remember just looking at Argentina walking off the pitch, and they looked small, looked small in stature. And that they didn't have a, a plan B to break uh, Saudi Arabia's high line, and obviously, it was a very defensive line at the end Dan was a bit worrying for, for Argentina. And you got to play players who are fit. Cristiano Romero wasn't fit. I know that myself as a, as a person who follows him closely at Spurs. Denmark, you'd have to wonder if they're going to be able to f- score enough goals. I thought Tunisia were a good enough value for that draw. Uh, once again, Mexico-Poland wasn't a great match. Poland were probably worse. I know they, Lewandowski missed a penalty, but the, Mexico are probably the better team. But I don't think either team is going to do anything. So I do think Argentina are not out of it. Although, they obviously, they don't have much room for error now. No, no
0: room really. I, yeah. Four points probably won't be enough now that that... The game maybe, maybe,
11: maybe they would have been better off if Poland had scored that winner and then yeah. you beat Poland, and so I don't know. And then Mbappe was fantastic last night, roadrunner. Um, the header was amazing and he's really in rude health and that just shows 23 years of age. He's not even at his prime yet, potentially. Um, Giroud scoring twice, equal in Thierry Henry's record. France looked good. Once again, though, uh, the way Australia played, say, the first half hour against better teams, will the French midfield be as secure as it could be. The
2: the studio guests last night were in no doubt whatsoever that Mbappe is the best player in the world right now. I think we, we, we sometimes get caught up in the, the Premier League fuss and I guess it is between Holland and Mbappe but
0: you forget them because we're
2: not watching Mbappe week on
0: week. Yeah, he well, is unbelievable. Uh, he, he is playing against lesser players week on week and so it's hard for him to exhibit that and he did do this against Australia. Right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like,
11: I, you know. Uh, well, Neymar has yet to, to, to be seen and I'll have to wait and see. Uh, it's it's against the bigger teams and to be fair to mbappe 4 years ago ah, deliver, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, against bigger when team.
0: he was yeah. when he was still just a kid so this is yeah. this could well be his it world could be. cup yeah. it could be where he like absolutely dominates teams and and they they don't like defending champions never win like it's happened once i think has it it was, it was tw- 58 62 okay and then italy obviously no oh, italy there was uh,
11: 34 38 so it's happened twice <laughs> um, i can't think of any other right uh, uh, and then today we have what morocco croatia 10 o'clock this morning Um, you're on the Morocco hype train John I am well I'm I'm just a little bit Well, this is before Saudi Arabia and Tunisia which probably means that Croatia win 4-0 now but uh, Ashraf uh, Hakimi is probably the star man for Morocco obviously the heat will help and Croatia I don't think they've got a forward uh, to replace Mandzukic obviously uh, Modric is there they've got a better younger defence now but I don't know about Croatia it's either feast or famine for them second, third or out in the group stage this has been their legacy Germany, Japan at one um Who's going to score the goals for Germany again? Group of death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rudiger, obviously, quality defender in there. Spain and Costa Rica at four. Who's going to score the goals for Spain? Obviously, we know they're going to be beautiful on the passing stakes with uh, Pedri Gavi. Uh, Busquets, I don't know if he'll play, but um, he's the captain. Uh, Japan, yeah, um, haven't been great in qualifying. And Costa Rica, I think, are an aging team. And then we got Belgium-Canada, Kevin Kilbane. Yeah. Um, this evening, at 7 o'clock. Never scored a goal in the World Cup, Canada. Only one appearance in 1986. Um, obviously, Alfonso Davies will be in a more playmaking role than he would be for Bayern and the Belgians.
0: Kev thinks they have a chance. This is the game. Right. It's going to be this game or nothing. Okay, um, interesting. Wait, a chance in this game. That's yeah. it. The, the front three full of energy against that ageing Belgian defence. Yeah, it's Royal Antwerp and Anderlecht
11: is where Vertonghen and Alderweireld are now. Anything else, briefly? Um, David Clifford, captain of carry next year. Uh, the Glazers are selling up. 6 to eight billion. And Ronaldo's gone. Uh, no, so that's just a quiet twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah. Just a quiet twenty four yeah. JD, good stuff. <laughs> right,
0: Thanks a million. More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk. It is eight fifty four. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. And we're brought to you live each morning with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Mo, you can sign up or donate now at movember.com dot Turn to turn back to Rugby and Keith Wood is with us. Keith, good morning to you. How are you?
4: I'm good, sir. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm very well. You've recovered from having two wisdom teeth out yesterday.
4: Yeah, a little bit unfortunate. Slightly um, stupid injury where I was uh, trying to chew a steak off a bone and I chewed the bone, a dog I'm not. So it didn't work for me.
0: And I mean, was it okay? Was it as was it as it seems for anybody who hasn't had it done, it seems pretty harsh.
4: Yeah, um, I had a job yesterday. Um, I have to tell you, the um, I went to a guy in Nina. He was pretty fantastic. Um, he terrified me because he told me all the things that could go wrong. But um, to this point, none of them have. So okay. I have to be careful not to get an infection over the next week or so but um no it's fine absolutely fine no issue
0: and are the drugs amazing is that like are you at risk of saying something outrageous in the next uh, 15 20 minutes uh, unlikely <laughs> unlikely
4: I'd say I'm um whatever it is I, I I don't need a huge number of them anyway so um no I'm not uh, Very good. I'm not taking a whole lot of taking an anti-inflammatory this morning that's all
0: okay let's have a quick look back at um the three game series in November um how do you feel about the respective rude health of the the first the senior team at the moment? Where are we with regard to where we were before the november internationals
4: well i, I kind of think we almost need to look at the whole lot but um, look, I was really intrigued by how we might play at the very start at um against South Africa, how we could deal with that heavy hitting team how we could deal with um, the manner in which they they play, which puts us under an awful lot of pressure. So, um, you know, we have to be, like, we've beaten everybody else. And this is a team that, yes, we have beaten, but um, we haven't played them a lot uh, World Cup times. Their, their teams have done very well in the URC. Um, just we've struggled against bigger players and it was kind of interesting interesting to see how we'd actually come out of the blocks how we would play um and also to try and see how we would bedded in our our um, back line play and our interaction between the forwards so i think like we've been critical over time for different people different players different coaches because we can only comment on what we've seen in front of us but I felt we started to make a progression with that. I think Mike Cat has done a good job. I think Paulie has the the right level of attention to detail, and I think it looks like the players are trying to follow Farrell's lead, and he's giving them a bit of scope. So, I actually I thought the team, as a first team, with you know a couple of late withdrawals, a couple of um, uh, injuries, uh, we seem to be able to deal with most of those. Um, Um, I thought Johnny played very well I thought Connor Murray who's been kind of out of it a bit played pretty well um, and defensively very well at the the start Um, I still would like to see him play a bit faster um, but I still think he is integral to Ireland I think he offers something entirely different to the other nines that we have Um, and I I, I thought the pack looked fantastic you know and So with all that that was going on, we didn't look to be, uh, I mean, it was a tough game. It was a hard game. We stood up to it and we stood up to it well. We got a very good victory, I felt, and we looked comfortable in that victory. I thought Johnny Sexton was fantastic in that game.
0: Yeah. The one thing you'd say is that it now appears certain like we have a first choice 15, largely. Uh, When fit, we know who's going to play. Um, And that is good. It's also a bit of a double-edged sword in that we're quite far out from when that team is going to need to be in form. And um, you just want to see proper competition in some places where players feel like they have to extend themselves to get into a position. And if they don't extend themselves and they're replaced by somebody, that we don't miss a beat. Because we we did look like a completely different team when Sexton wasn't there in the two subsequent games. And that's fine, you know, that the... uh, the game in the middle is going to be very difficult it's, it's a bit of a non-contest while at the same time physically impossible to not get damaged by the size of the, the uh, people you're, you're playing against the Australia game we, we had a, a kid in at out half and that's going to take time for him you know what you have to be realistic about what the capabilities of, of him to shout at the back row to shout at the second row to scream at the um, scrum half and so Sexton not being there has this kind of multiplier impact the one concern is that we know our first choice fifteen and um that's not a brilliant position to be in this far out from the World Cup.
4: Yeah, I don't I'm I'm not a hundred percent with you on that. I think there are guys that are you know are up in the air a little. I think we've a lot of guys that we're we're pretty certain on. Um uh I think Hugo Keenan at fifteen has, has been fantastic for the last few years. I think our centers are Ring Rose and Robbie Henshaw. Um I thought um I thought McCluskey showed a lot and then drifted out of bits of it. And then Bundy came on and showed how incredibly powerful he is close to the line and how good he can be. He also showed poor discipline again, and he has to be very careful with that. He really, really needs to, to, um, uh, you know, to just change his technique somewhat that he isn't getting into, into those positions where he isn't getting exposed um, because he he has started to play really, really well for Ireland. Our two wingers, I, I thought Mack Hansen started well and drifted a little as it went along, but you know it was hugely emotional for him to play against Australia, so I think you can understand elements of that. And also, he hasn't played a huge amount of international rugby, and people are getting to understand that he's around a little bit more and he'll get exposed for that, but he'll come back and get better. Um, Balakun, I got a chance, but I don't think he's involved as much as he should be. So you're gonna look at Conway coming back, you're gonna look at Larmer coming back, you're even gonna look at the Evervescent uh, Keith Earl's at 35 coming back. Be interesting to see him this weekend to see because he is just pure gas, and pure gas is rare, so he'll always be a factor because of that. So um I think at nines, Gibson Park is he's a fine player. Like he's a really fine player, started really well, and it just flagged a little over the last couple of weeks. And I think that's a, this is something that we have to try and understand. How do we manage that for which we'd hope to be seven matches in a World Cup that some players are going to be, um, they're going to go off the boil a little. So you do need different players to come in. So I thought uh, even when Casey came in um, at, at laterally, the game picked up very quickly. And so I do think we have a little bit of depth in there. But there are guys that are fighting for position, and if we if we fully end up with the first fifteen, I think we're in trouble. Actually, I, I think we what we really want to end up is having a lot of guys vying for positions and getting a chance to play, and that's the piece that that really is important. I mean, the obvious glaring one is Johnny Sexton, and Johnny is uh, he just seems to be playing at a. About six steps ahead from everybody i I think any criticism of crowley of which there was a bit in the papers is just ludicrous. He's a guy who was starting his first ever test um playing against uh, an incredibly physical team and he was a bit deep I'd say he the shock to the system the, the steps that he has gone up this year are pretty extraordinary um but the joy he'll have. For saying, okay, I look at that game. I'm definitely too deep for for too much of that. And actually, if I if I get a bit flatter, even as the game went on, he started learning that. I thought it was a, I thought it was an extraordinary step up to it. I'm not saying he was by any means um, perfect, and with he by any means pushing anybody for for the position, but he actually grew in the game. And you mentioned about barking at players. It took Ron Nagara about three or four years before he started barking at players. So. Um, I don't think Crowley will be that sort of guy I think he's pretty self-confident don't know him at all but he looks it. Um, has a bit of a strut about him which is good um, so from a backline perspective I actually don't think we're too bad really I think with with all players coming back from injury I think we have a fairly full deck
2: Sounds funny to say it, Keith but like you know almost if we'd won the three tests comfortably and played remarkably well you're going into a World Cup year maybe with a tad of complacency now like do you think Andy Farrell will be almost relieved like you look at the Fiji game the performance wasn't great albeit a second string team and then against Australia there were certain things we could have been uh, better with as well so is it almost a positive for Andy Farrell that you, you can look back on the on the three tests and certainly amend things and, and have negatives that you can focus on as well
4: I think Shane I think he'd be a bit peeved by it I think he would have liked a better performance in against Fiji Um it was lacklustre a lot of the time. Um, uh, I think we seem to struggle a little when teams are down a couple of numbers. We don't seem to take advantage of that. He'd be really annoyed by that. Um, I, look, I thought the game against Australia was it was a strange game of rugby. I mean, it wasn't the most enjoyable game to watch. It was very slow, sort of, uh, not slow, uh, but how would you describe it? It was There was no real width put on it. It was very defensive-oriented. We didn't have the ball for a lot of the game. We couldn't show an awful lot into it. We didn't get into it. In many respects, I think it was Australia's biggest game. Um And I think there could be changes in Australia after it because uh, they've lost an awful lot this year, and yet it was unbelievably close. But they're difficult to play against. But... Um, I, I still think a lot of players hadn't played a huge amount of rugby this year and it's trying to get players fresh, fit and still be fresh and fit by the time we get to the World Cup. I mean, it's an incredibly difficult it is, balancing act. Isn't it? It, that's, so I would look at that and say we won three matches out of three. I'd be thrilled with, with the victories. Some of the performances weren't quite up to scratch. We did look... Uh, like for me, I see again, I'm, there's no criticism for for Crowley at ten coming in playing his first test as a start, but I would have felt that we needed to be far more vocal elsewhere in the field, and a lot of that had to be taken off him um and that's one of the elements that it isn't just that Johnny plays and plays very well, but because his influence is so good, I think other people don't quite step up enough, yeah. And that's something that has to happen.
0: Well, it's really interesting and it's it's, um, obviously very difficult. You can't cheat that level of experience. If you think back to the start of Sexton as captain, he was chippy, he was snapping at referees, the relationship. He's obviously matured massively over that period of time. And that's like one of our most experienced players ever still continuing to learn. So you can imagine what it's like for James Ryan or Caelan Doris or whoever else might be in that leadership group who might be a potential captain so maybe they missed a little bit of an opportunity in naming Pete the captain when he's already done it we know what we're going to get from him and, and not giving it to somebody else I don't know maybe if they'd had a, a week to think about it they might have thought of something different that point you make though about um, players not having played a lot of rugby there's loads of players who haven't played any rugby and that was their first real introduction to the season the difficulty with the World Cup is we won't have played any rugby in the summer really we'll have a couple of World Cup warm ups and then there'll be the Romania game, the Tonga game, and then the South Africa game. And there's a good chance that that's like the third game that Johnny Sexton plays next year. It's 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 to get the World Cup campaign right, it's a little bit of a miracle and it's a little bit of a prayer and um that's the scenario we find ourselves in even with all the planning and the A internationals.
4: Yeah, I I look I do think so, but I also think that the World Cup is slightly different. You get to the end of, of this season, um, you have a very short break, and then you you start prepare everything that is done for preparation. So whereas you may not have played a huge amount of rugby, it, it's not quite the same as coming back from a lot of injuries, which we've had in this Ireland squad. There are a lot of guys only came back in about three weeks before. So when you come back from being out injured for a while, and you haven't maybe done the amount of work, even though a lot of the guys are doing... I mean, they're being looked after very well. That's one thing I can see. I had, a, I had a good chat with Keith Earls a couple of weeks ago, and he was fit maybe two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. And I said, You're fit. Are you okay? He said, Yeah, I'm flying it now, really flying it. So I have two full weeks of conditioning and contact before I can go and play. In times past, you'd feel fit. You'd be playing on Saturday, you yeah. know? So it's, so I think there is a huge management of the resources that we have. And, it's how you can maximize that and how you can maximize the fitness and training that's done next summer. So you're going to be try to be as fresh as you can during the year and still win and perform everything because Ireland's target has to be to try and go and get a grand slam because that's where we need to be at. And we need to try and deal with that favorites tag. And I think we probably dealt with that a little bit uncomfortably um, on uh, on last weekend but we need to get our head around that and need to perform accordingly then every time but whatever the preparation is it's to try and make certain that guys are are fit you know injury free so it's fine pushing yourself and getting yourself as fit as you can but there's no point being the fittest team in the world if four or five guys get injured two or three weeks beforehand or get injured in the first couple of weeks yeah you know so the injuries we we you you can't ever account for really our turned ankles or breaks or think or concussions or things like that but we need to make certain we we try and cut out our soft tissue injuries that we're getting because there's quite a lot of them around in Ireland we just need to make certain that we have you know protected enough it's pushing to the most but the most that the body can take not the most that you can, you know, where you're pushing every edge to the far end, you know, you have to remember you're rugby players at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Uh, two last things to to talk to you about briefly. Um, Josh van der Fleer gets named World Player of the Year. Uh, Brian was talking about uh, the time that he probably should have won it and how ultimately it was a, a disappointment. Um, what was your What was your recollection of actually being named World Player of the Year? Did you know in advance of the ceremony that it was going to be you?
4: No. Um, and I had actually we had we talked about this last week but it, we had a problem with our um the the recording of it got it got corrupted but um i tried not to go um i was absolutely shattered we'd after playing a match um i think we played we played new zealand um the day before all i wanted to do was go go home to kill i was living in london at the time but i was just wanted the chance to get down, get down here, maybe go out to the west coast a little and walk on the beach. I was absolutely shattered, and like I said, no to going about three or four times. And I, I, it was, it had never been before. It was the first time. And I, I look, I'm, I'll admit the, the, um, the, the confusion of this. I'm not a huge fan of world player of the year. Not world player of the year. It's a individual award for a team game. I'm just. Um, I, I like having it but equally well I think it's it's um, it's very hard to pick one player when, when you're operating from teams that you play with so that's just been one of my things so I was trying not to but I the IRFU persuaded me whether they knew or not I'm not sure but I was sitting with Brian O'Driscoll he was um, he was uh, on the short list as well and we were sitting side by side and we were waiting for the guys to talk about um, who it was and I had not put one thought into it that I was going to win. Um, I thought Brian actually was going to win. So I was, I was even though I didn't want to be there, I was kind of happy to be there then because I thought he was going to get it. And when they started doing it, I was totally taken um, off guard, totally off guard. I don't know what I said when I went up there, but I talked pure rubbish. I knew there was nothing prepared. But um, yeah, I, it's, it's one of those kind of mad things and it, it's become... Important afterwards. And, you know, it's 20, whatever it is, 21 years now later that it's, it's important now as a standing in the game. And I still think it's as important for the teams that the player is playing for. So look, I was thrilled for, for Josh. I, 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 um, I think he's actually been fantastic. The last two years, he's been incredibly good, but it's great for Leinster. Um, and it's great for Ireland that um, we're getting that recognition of having players there, you know, following on from Johnny Sexton a few years ago. So, like that is that, that's a great place for us in Irish rugby because you do want to be at the top table, and if your players are on those lists, that means that the team must be playing very well, and it's getting recognised globally.
0: Does it mean more to you now?
4: Oh, I, I look, I'm. I I like having it. I didn't win a huge amount of rugby. That's one of the things I always find it drives me kind of mad. I wanted to win more with Ireland, and I would have I'd swap that for for a Grand Slam. But um, I know it's of course it's something I'm proud of, but um, it's I'm still kind of slightly conflicted with it. Always have been.
0: It's great for your kids. I I, I mean I I think I I presume it's like oh that that was worth especially now when like all of the winners who have won it since are the names that will resonate down the ages and you were the first.
4: Yeah, I mean it's lovely. I look I'm honored to have it. I'm but I still doesn't take away from the fact that it's a team game, you know. So um but look, I um, um I just I look I was really happy to see it. I was it was interesting when you were looking at the shortlist for for this year and you know, you mentioned Brian and Brian should have got it in 2009 and he absolutely should have got it in 2009. I don't know how that that didn't happen. Um, they changed the rules after. I should have been on the list this time and wasn't, um, and I think he would have pushed Josh uh, um, for it a lot. But when you look at everything that um, that Van der vleer did this year, um, his level of consistency that he played for the whole year was pretty,
0: yeah, pretty Actually, the last thing was just a monster, and, and very briefly over the next couple of weeks, uh, it's a real important time for the team to feed off the energy from the South Africa A game and to use the fact that some of their players like you've mentioned Keith Earls are, are coming back to fitness and that the coaching ticket has now had a month working with a load of the players to go this is who we are this is our identity this is what we're trying to achieve if you make a mistake it's okay we're going to fix it but we're going to start winning games playing well so it's a really really interesting period of time small matter of to lose
4: It's a very interesting period of time look I think um I think Roundtree's played a blinder for the last few weeks. Um I think it's taking a period of time for for monster to, to to get into some level of um of player consistency. You can see that they're trying to change their style. Um different pressures of different competitions is making some of that style come under additional pressure, so some of the handling can be can be poor because it means almost more. I thought they took the game against South Africa as a freebie. And my God, did they they have the skills, they can show them there was maybe a different or lessening of the pressure from the coaching staff or how they could express themselves on that day and they looked fantastic with it. Um, now, I, I didn't think South Africa A played particularly well, but that doesn't take away from a lot of players that don't ordinarily get a start playing as well as they can play. I thought Frisch looked really good. Yeah. Hopefully his injury isn't too bad. I think that makes a big difference. Um, but to talk about Keith Earls again, just in terms of this and talking about um, uh, the things that are important for Munster and Keith is 35 and he'll be there for, I don't know whether he's there for another year after this one or whatever, but he is one of the old guards that is from a uh, part of Limerick that didn't play a huge amount of rugby. He He, he did go to a rugby school. He um, he has a huge following for for who he is and what he is, and that's part of what's going to happen for the future of Munster, whether it's in playing or being in some level of coaching or some involvement that's involved even at domestic level. Um, there is that idea that you need to hold on to the things that make Munster very good, you know. And so that idea of playing in Cork, like Cork has been neglected for a period of time. There hasn't been big matches down there. You could see what happened when Cork came out in forced like that was an extraordinary occasion, and they're rare occasions, but you can't let those kind of drift past, so they need to fully integrate properly. I think monster has kind of drifted away over the last few years into bringing in far more players from overseas when there is a lot of quality guys around, but you have to give them a chance, and you have to try and integrate those and pass on some of that history, so that's that's what I'd be looking at for the next period of time. Build up what you did from then. That doesn't mean you're gonna win all the matches, but hopefully you're gonna are gonna start performing at a higher standard as the season goes along. Yeah. Um Monster know they can raise themselves for a big game. They may not have the the depth of the squad that they had in the past, but they actually have and showed that kind of that pride that was required and the skill level that was required. So That's it. I mean, I find it slightly ironic that it's an Englishman that is bringing that forward, as it is a little bit in Ireland as well. And But they're coming from that community-based rugby, and that's the bit I think we drifted away a little bit from. And the more that Munster get back to that, the stronger they'll be. Whether they'll be strong enough this year, I'm not sure. Um, but this has to be the start of a process to go over the next couple of years, and it yeah. will require a level of patience.
0: All right, Keith, good stuff. Thanks so many for joining us. Cheers. Cheers, gents. That's uh, Keith Wood there this morning. OTB AM, live with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. At half past ten, the AIB Club Championship show is back. It's live with Willow Callahan in the hot seat. OTB Gold at one o'clock is Michael Owen and his life after football. Koi Gig is live from three our retro panel is sport and Irish identity. OTB Gold is Dennis Ogey-Moran at 6. And 7 o'clock, OTB is live Wednesday Night Rugby focusing on the non-Irish rugby stories from a busy November. Football show's on as well with the very latest edition of A Slight Tangent Live and, of course, all the latest World Cup news uh, as it unfolds this evening. You can follow OTB across all of our social channels, so that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and the OTB podcast network. You just hit subscribe on our various feeds and you get the very latest in uh, sports content. Now, during the ad break, you're going to hear a clip from the latest episode of the Koi Gig podcast where Kathleen, Karen Duggan and Emma Byrne talk about Manchester City's form in the WSL this season. The Koi Gig pod on OTB Sports is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland Women's National Team. Back after these. OTB a. M. On OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. The OTB Sports app. Listen, watch, read, all in one place. Wherever you are, we're always with you. The OTB Sports app, available to download now from your app store.
5: In a way, where at the start of the season, we were talking about how there was maybe some worries around city. They're kind of just like, plodding along quietly. They're not necessarily shouting from the rooftops or anything, but they're... They're keeping a steady ship, which is probably a bit more than I think a few people expected them to do this season.
7: Yeah, and they're still making changes to their team, though. They're still very, and like, different goalkeeper in again. Um, Yeah, I mean, Ellie Roebuck's injury. Yeah. Which, I mean, for me, again, it's a strange thing, isn't she? She's so young, she gets these injuries Mm. and didn't cover herself in glory for, for England. I mean, It's difficult. She's having a difficult time at the moment, but I don't understand all these changes. I mean, I know I'm a bit old school, but consistency—you need consistency. And I get it; you have to make changes for because of injuries. But like, but your back five is generally, yeah. And we're not obviously we're not forgetting that City haven't really played anyone yet, have Mm. they? And you need to get your team right before you play against now United against Chelsea, against Arsenal. You need to get your team right and they need to be confident. And at the moment, I'm I'm not even sure if if the manager knows what his first 11 is. And that's worrying, I think. Well, has Garrett Taylor ever really known what his starting 11 is? Like, ele- <laughs>
5: over the last season and a half, well, it's only halfway through the season, but.
7: I, th- I just, uh, maybe it's just his way because you're right. I've never really known City to have that 11 I mean going into a game I think how would I go into a game against City I haven't got a clue I have no idea because I don't know who's playing well, at the moment I would just double team Bunny Shaw and hope that <laughs> Lauren Hemp isn't playing <laughs> yeah I mean that's it exactly you just covered those spaces and I just as well like because they haven't played any of the big teams I think there's been a lot of mistakes when they play against City those was marking I mean that was a mistake they were marking her goal side, not channel side, where the space was channel side, just little things like that. Um but in general, like to drop Alex Greenwood, the captain, who I think was who was player of, of the year last year for them, by the way, and who's done nothing wrong since that's the thing, like I, I haven't seen her put a foot wrong, really. No, no, she's playing well. And as well, playing. she's not get having a great time with England. So if that's my player. I'm a manager I'm like don't worry you're playing for me yeah uh, you're my you're one of my best players you're my captain she needs confidence right mm-hmm. and then like someone like Leilu Habi comes in who has a great game I'm hoping now okay brilliant you're staying I you're going to be my left back <laughs> but they don't have a clue who's going to play so it's like constantly even like it must be in training you're not sure who's playing you don't have that confidence it can be really disruptive in a team and I'd like to see a consistent team.
0: OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Everglade shave, magnificent mode. It's twenty-two minutes past nine now. Fifty of our best and brightest young men and women who play intercounty Gaelic games are in Kenya at the moment, in uh, taking part in the Plant for the Planet Games, the games of the Brainchild. Of Warriors for Humanity founder and former Galway Jewel player Alan Kearns. I'm delighted to say we have Damien Comer, Neva Sullivan, and Alan Kearns with us. There's a bit of a delay on the line, guys, so I might just ask you a fairly open-ended question, Alan. I'm going to start with you. Uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, how this all came about and how you're getting on.
6: Yeah, I'm getting on great. Uh, been an amazing trip so far. We're just here in, in E10 in uh, in St Patrick's School with Brother Colum. Uh, who trained David Rodisha, He trained thirty-five world champions and um, seven Olympic champions. And Barrera's here with us this morning, and we ran with the Kenyans this morning as well, including the ten thousand meter road record holder. So we have had an amazing morning, and I suppose an amazing week. But we, we played the first ever intercounty game in Kenya, and we've won the ambassadors here from um, all four codes. Uh, orders
0: right unfortunately the line is not playing ball with that one um who knew that the skype connection to kenya Kenya wouldn't be (laughs) great we tried we we might try and get it back in a second to see if the the line can establish this happens sometimes with the um i mean i'm not i'm not a technician but it's something to do with the condensing of the signal and then the reanimation of it Mm, that's a long way to go forth and back um, 50 of them uh, the first ever recorded game in Kenya fairly historic has to be said there um, were pictures of David Risha there yesterday which was, was very impressive Alan I think I think we're going to try and, and we have you back you were just saying there that um, it's been a great week so far what's the the point of the trip
6: yeah, I suppose the point is uh, played the first ever intercounty game in Kenya, but the players and to create history, but also leave a huge legacy. The players have raised ten thousand euros, and that would plant one million trees, which would benefit the climate, but also hundreds of thousands of families who would live off these trees, food crops, cash
0: crops, and many, many more benefits. Damien, what was it actually like?
12: Uh, it's a surreal experience, so though. Something I um, would have never, obviously, experienced before. Just to see the, I suppose, the poverty that's out here, but smiles on kids faces the people are so nice so welcoming and just interacting with them planting trees interacting with them dancing singing just the culture is unbelievable out here and it's, yeah it's been amazing
0: so far um, Neve, uh, did anybody beat any of the Kenyan runners that's the most important <laughs> question here
5: uh, no we're not that good um, look it was as things said so far it's been a surreal experience um, you know I think a lot of us were dreading the six o'clock run this morning um, but like the athletes are fantastic and um, they really pushed us hard and it was like an unbelievable experience and um, one I'll definitely uh, won't forget.
0: From your own perspective, Niamh, why did you get involved in this? What was it that you thought, yeah, actually, I will do this? Well, they ran <laughs>
5: the here beside me, right? Um, and just explained all the projects and why we were doing it and, I, you know, you just couldn't say no to Alan, but even just all um, history uh, behind it and, you know, to be part of this legacy of Know, planting one million trees um and to be also a part of the first intercounty game uh of like all four codes. Um and look, we're it's we're having a lot of fun and everyone's getting on with each other and you know, um it's just been brilliant. So yeah, it was an offer I couldn't refuse.
0: Um where did the idea come from?
6: I suppose, you know, I've been working at Africa for seventeen years now, and I suppose Huge passion of mine, but also GA is a huge passion. And uh, I always had a dream, I suppose, of bringing a revision of bringing an inter-county game or an all-star trip or some kind of game to Kenya. And this is what it merged into. I suppose it was triggered here in 2010 with Brother Cullen when I was here in 2014. And we are just talking about bringing groups out here and it wouldn't be great to bring GA guys out here to, to learn from the Kenyans and run with them. So uh, it kind of all merged into the Planet the Planet game as well to, to make a difference, but also have a number. Uh, to, uh, like we all know sport and music as a as a universal language to connect people on a human level. And I suppose the guys have experienced that pure connection with the Kenyans and the Africans and they've been blown away by it, which is amazing. And they've been hugely proud of the players and leaders on and off the pitch there. I'm sure it's raised raise huge money, but it'll make a huge difference.
2: I'm sure it's uh, broadened the horizons as well, Damien. Like, that's something that, that I'm sure has uh, really stuck home. Like, uh, you get caught up in training and, and work and, and modern day life, and then you go, go over something like there, and it, it really puts things in perspective, I guess.
12: Uh, 100%, yeah. Huge. Usually, like you, you give out about the little things at home, and then you come out here and you see how they live and their culture, and like just how they get by with limited resources. Like from, from walking miles every day to get water and wash, bringing clothes down to the, the river to wash their clothes. And like we have it on, we have it on our doorstep at home. Like, and then like trying to impact and, and help these families for the future and trying to make their lives easy, easier is, is massive. And I suppose having that, having done that and leaving that legacy
0: out here and, and being part of it is something that you'll cherish for life. Has the, have the actual integrated games taken place? Have you, have you played matches yet, Neve?
5: Yeah, we played on Sunday. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, a lot of footballers tried the hurling, and vice versa, the hurlers tried football. So look, we had a bit of crack. Um, wasn't competitive at all.
0: I don't believe um, it. Okay, that's the <laughs> bit. That's it. We're getting there. Who who won?
5: Yeah. <laughs> No, it
0: was a fantastic experience. Real- no one got injured. That's yeah, <laughs> <definitely. laughs> I mean, I don't believe that either. I'd say somebody's coming home with like slightly bruised ribs, but hasn't told anybody yet for fear of like uh, losing face. We we know what it's like. And Alan, the idea to plant the trees and and specifically to be involved in um, climate change, because like clearly it's the single most important global story that uh, we still can't get agreement on at government level. But actually, uh, people doing stuff and talking about this in this way. Hopefully keeps the story front and central, and it is going to impact all of us for the rest of our lives forever. So, um, where did that? When did you decide that that was going to be the the most important thing for you to focus on?
6: Yeah, I, I, I work with a great organization called Self of Africa, and they do this with Linus and others planting a million trees, and and also the benefits that the trees are not just planted for the livelihood, are not just planted for the climate. They're linked to livelihoods where families are trained and educated to live off these trees. Uh, food crops, cash crops, uh, rehabilitation, degraded soil, uh, etc. So there's a huge amount of benefits. And you, you're just talking there about a lot of talk, but we believe in it's now time to take action. And this is we, we've taken action, and the players have taken action, and we hope that creates awareness. You know, you know, talk talk is cheap. So the player actually out and raised the ten grand uh, to plant the to, to accumulated that together to plant one million trees, and that's uh, they're, they're, these are huge role models in society and uh, the ripple effect of their actions hopefully will trigger many many more to do similar
0: yeah Jamie is this something you've been involved in before like a a level of activism or something is this kind of again you know I think Shane's talking about like um, the idea of going travelling is something he's done lots of and, and definitely once you start getting that bug but also deciding that you have a platform and a voice around stuff that isn't just like how do you think the game is going to go at the weekend? What's the story with the manager? How's the Are you in favour or against the advance mark? Like something actually deeper and more community based.
12: Yeah, no, it's not. It's it's, it's my first time doing something like this. Um, it's funny. I'm actually in the middle of my travels. I've I traveling a few weeks ago. Went to Thailand doing Vietnam and Cambodia, so I flew from Thailand and wasn't really sure where i would be in the world at that stage. and um, but I was like it was too big of an opportunity and it was um something that I always wanted to do. Never thought I would get the chance to do it, but very fortunate that Alan went ahead with this, and with an amazing group that were out here and just having that having that experience and being able to take part in something huge and massive personally and as and as a group is is special and even just i can't get over like honestly the, the kids are so lovely out here like you'd actually love to bring a few of them home which would give them a, a real good chance at life because like they're even in schools i'm a teacher at home and they're so they're so well got in school they're so they're so smart they're learning subjects through english which is not their first language and they're so well behaved they do everything they're told and like they're coming from nothing that's i i how how good they are and how well behaved they are and how happy they are. They're going around. Some of them are going around with shoes. Some of them are going around not wearing any shoes. And just they've the brightest smile on their face It's 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 infectious and it's just it's really really heartwarming.
0: Yeah, Neve, What about you? Has it, has it awoken something? I know the LGFA um, through the lead ads have really highlighted the fact that uh, female participation in sport needs better investment. And so it's kind of an activist. Uh, part of the LGFA almost baked in on a personal level is this going to make a difference to you do you think?
5: Yeah definitely Uh, like Damien said it's definitely one thing I always wanted to do Uh, probably didn't think I get the chance to do it and thankfully Alan uh, rang me and um, asked me what I Join um the trip and look it's been fantastic like damien i'm a teacher as well and you know visiting the schools there yesterday like it just you know brings it home that like we're so lucky to what we have back home in ireland but like you know there's one girl in particular who wants to do medicine and to see her say that to us yes you know yesterday was fantastic like she wants to go on and become uh, a doctor and you know you know they're doing like ample work here in, in Kenya for the kids and you know as Damien said you know some of them have um, jackets and shoes and other kids don't and it's just it does um, bring you back down to actual times and makes you really appreciate what you have uh, at home
0: Well listen the line has, uh, has has stood up long enough Alan Cairns Neva Sullivan and Damien Comer Damien, Damien Comer thanks a million to the three of you for making time for us this morning and enjoy the rest of your trip cheers folks
6: thanks
0: guys thanks, Nathan, thank you it's uh, 9.33 this morning uh, OTB AM is brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember effort to shave magnificent Mo you can sign up or donate now at movember.com time for us to do uh, something slightly different uh, Nathan Murphy good morning to you how are you yeah good you've, you've been on a, a, a literal
1: and metaphorical journey just recently well, uh, compared to the people you've just been talking to, I think my journey uh, <laughs> maybe not quite as uh, impressive. Uh, but uh, oh, yeah. you're, you're doing uh, yourself down. This is a different item. We can, you know, we can move on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I think the three of us have been on a journey, haven't mm-hmm. we? We've yeah. Seen a, we've looked into each other's soul. We uh, have. So uh,
0: we have. We have in our midst a little boy racer, right?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. From the border, border county, county, is that what you're saying? Well yeah, yeah. I don't mean to stereotype here, but you're yeah. you're into your
2: petrol. I like car I like I like driving. Yeah, I like the, the thrill of driving and watching Formula One, I
0: guess. Yeah, we, yeah. we sent you to Mondello Park a couple of weeks ago and you were in the passenger seat mm. and you came back oh, wow, that's amazing. What would be better than sitting in the passenger seat? <laughs> driving a car around Mondello Park. Right. So and, uh, the opportunity presented itself.
2: Yeah. None of us said no. Although uh, Nathan, was, Nathan was a little bit afraid and, and scared beforehand.
1: Yeah, it's fair to say Nathan was like terrified. Is that, am I? I, don't, am, am I... Uh, listen, when the opportunity uh, arose to go down to Mondello uh, last week, oh, I wasn't, you know, I was, yeah, I, I, I like driving, you know, I, but in my own peace and quiet and with the radio up loud and listening to the music and singing my songs, uh, driving incredibly fast. Uh, is not something that uh, I get a buzz of at all. So I thought maybe I'll leave it. Maybe I'll leave it to somebody else. And then thought, you know what? I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna see what it's like. And then when we got down to Mondello last Wednesday for the BMW driving experience. Yeah, when I got there I started to think, actually, why why am I doing this? What why am I doing this? Uh, so uh, the vast majority of people who go down go down because they're like, Shane, they're petrol heads they, they you know, they want to experience the rush, the thrill, the adrenaline. I don't want that. You, I'm, you, I'm happy just to be on a plane. You thought, you thought
0: you didn't want that, but... You were wrong, it turns out, right? Oh, I was very wrong. Are we about to see I the transformation? Is all the, I haven't seen this video yet, so uh, <laughs> am I spoiling the best part? You, you can watch the video whenever you want. I'll, I'll stay
1: here if you want to watch the
2: video now. I think, we, I think we've got the bug, though. I once uh, met a man called Alan Bean, who was a captain in the U.S. Navy, and he uh, was the fourth man to walk on the moon since passed away. Oh, but God, uh, Jesus he, Christ. He, talk about space. He was asked when he was a, a U.S. Navy pilot, why did he want to become an astronaut in the 60s? And he said, because I wanted to go higher and faster. And that's, that's what I wanted from Feeling this trip. the right stuff. He, we might be mentioning the right stuff potentially. Chuck Yeager
0: is the main is the main uh, proponent in the right stuff, but higher and faster. We certainly went faster. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing thing, and so um, thanks to our, our our buddies at BMW for sorting it out. And like what for for those of you who want to you know see what like the transformation of a human being from uh, you know cowed, terrified individual uh, transformed into. Well, a Cristiano Ronaldo figure by the end of this. Stay tuned and uh, keep your eyes on Nathan Murphy. Well, actually, I'm sure Nathan cut the piece, so it's going to be all Nathan.
1: (laughs) Bias. Roll it there, Oshin. So we're almost ready to go at the BMW driving experience. We have our helmets on. We are joined by one of our instructors. What's your name?
5: Vicky is my name.
1: Vicky, thanks for having us down here. I thought this was a test drive. Of a nice family BMW car that I would, you know, consider purchasing when I get my massive pay rise next year. Uh, it turns out we're going to be going a lot faster than the normal family car.
5: Yes, you couldn't be a lot wrong, in, in, more wrong than what you were expecting. So you are going to be going out on track in an M4 and an M5, really fast cars, and you'll be driving them on the racing line, so really well. Uh,
1: do I have to go fast?
5: <laughs> you can drive at your own pace. Right. The instructor is there to push you, on, push you
1: on. So the instructor I saw in the video has a brake. Do they have an accelerator?
5: They don't have an accelerator, but they do have a word saying, go, go, go. They can use that.
1: Okay. Shane, you yeah. are the adrenaline junkie. You're yeah. ready to rock. How fast are you going to go? As fast as I physically can go in the car without damaging the thing. Now, I'm
2: surprised there was a helmet big enough to fit my head, but that um, that was a, that was that's the first win of the day. Uh, more nervous now than I think I was earlier, uh, having seen the cars going around, so... Uh, yeah, at least we get a mini mini Cooper to try out first of all before we move on to the BMW M series cars, which are clearly faster. So uh we'll see how we get we'll see how
0: we fare. Uh Jer. Your nervousness is infectious. It turns out you're like a kind of a virus. Or everybody else is like, Yeah, it's gonna be great, we're gonna go and have a good time and Nathan's like, Oh my god. So you know
1: well, again, I assume most people who come to the BMW driving experience, it is the experience to them that they're they're paying for. They're look you know it's a Christmas present, they're looking forward to this for six months. I I I, 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 I don't see where the enjoyment of this is going to come from for me at all. <laughs> we'll can I, can I, I stop? Can I stop after two laps if you can I want can to? Stop
5: at any point, but I guarantee you will come back in with a big smile on your face.
1: Here he comes, Shane Hannan, at the end of his fast lap. What's he going to do? He puts the foot in the throttle, off he goes. 114 for Shane Hannon and sets the early pace. How was it? 107. I take that. I feel like Neil Armstrong, the pioneer of the group. You always feel like Neil Armstrong, no matter what you do. You yeah. seem to feel like Neil Armstrong.
2: Yeah, first man, first man in the car, first man back. Um, I'd say
1: Neil Armstrong would be pretty pissed off if he realised his the greatest achievement in mankind's history has been compared to every shitty little thing you do.
2: <laughs> yeah, look, I feel I feel good. Uh, really, really sweated. we were wearing the kind of the the chef's hat. Um geez Noel the, the instructor was very patient with me very good showing you the racing line the first couple of laps you're only getting used to the racing line and then you can just go hell for leather and then the, the difference the, was it the 4 BMW M4 was 550 horsepower and you thought that was fast after being in the Mini and then it's 630 ho- horsepower for the M5 which is just
1: it's like a rocket here comes Jared Gilroy to start his first flying lap ooh, ooh, there's a bit of oomph in that
2: we're actually very consistent uh, from what I recall you were No no no, you you had a did he have a one ten? Yeah, I
0: think there was a one ten. That's very acceptable. That's very acceptable. It's um uh, Oh yeah, that's Nathan like I'm gonna be driving around really slow, but like you can hear the Um when you get out of the car the brakes make this kind of noise. Did you hear that? Yeah.
1: New lap record amongst the three of us. Alex has gone twenty seconds faster. I think it's fair to say I was a little bit nervous coming down. (laughs) I think I think you were uh, rope-a-doping us, really. Obviously- I've converted. I am 100% converted. Alex somehow guided me around brilliantly. Uh, Ireland's, Ireland's next best young driver. Give him that award right now. Yeah, I'm hoping so. I have uh, I had my interview last week and they're, uh, they're deciding the finalists in, uh, in three weeks' time. So, yeah, fingers crossed for that one and... Uh,
11: I think you've
0: got a few Teacher anyway because you managed to make this guy who see, was like terrified of the whole thing into the fastest one of all of us. What actually
2: happened was we can't see who's driving because there's helmets yeah, on. Nath, like, I think Alex was actually <laughs> in the in the seat for those.
1: We're we're, we're rumbled The cats out of the bag oh, now. Yeah. No, in all seriousness. Um I don't think I'll put it down to me. He was a uh, Especially in the BMW M5 towards the end, you're really comfortable and much more consistent. So, yeah, you did a great job. That was class. Absolutely class. Uh, coming up that last corner there by the end, I was like, yes. I just can't wait to get on that throttle yeah. so I can get... And then braking a little bit late. Now I say late. He's like, you're probably still braking five seconds too early. No, no, no. You didn't have anything left car was, The car was, <laughs> was squirming. I saw 180, so you know you're going quick when you see that. Jerry, you had a good time? Oh, it was amazing, yeah. I, I told you it was going to be good. Right, it was very good. Yeah, I'll definitely. definitely be back. Uh, I was a bit concerned when I went out in the mini first. it was like, This is a bit fast." Uh, but <laughs> by uh, by the end, the M4 and the M5, Shane, you still you were you were shaking when you came out. I was buzzing. I, I couldn't get the smile off my face. And I don't think I will. Uh, like you can hear the noise of the M5. It's unbelievable
2: rumble. And it's just it's it's incredible. And the, 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 like once you get on, as you say, to the straight, and you know you're like flat to the mat you are loving it and then you're, you're, you're kind of breaking slightly later each time and once you get the, you know, the racing line and going towards cones and knowing when to break,
1: you kind of get more comfortable with it so I'd love to come back and, and see can we beat our times alright well that's our next trip we'll be back this time next year we we'll go under a minute that's the <laughs> aim I don't know where you can practice that's the only problem thanks a million lads thanks Alex no, Alex. no problem Alex. dream team dream team
0: oh yeah you had Alex he was the best that's why you won, Nathan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Alex, Alex is only 23. Uh, keep an eye out for him. He was driving over the past year in this mini-challenge in the UK uh, and did really well, and that's on ITV as part of their motorsport coverage. And he's nominated for Young Driver of the Year at the Motorsport Island Awards in the next couple of weeks, and he was the one that got me driving fast because in one way, you're touching, what, 175, 180, coming down the straight, and you think, like, it's fast, but it's not super fast, but it's the fact that you're, you're coming towards the end very rapidly, and Alex is like, go, 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 and everything in you saying, no, no, break, slow down, slow down, because the road is going to come to a sudden halt in about 300 meters. And he's like, go, 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 and then break. And uh, <laughs> yeah, turning right into the corner and even just learning about the driving line. And you, when you finish, you finish your laps, you just want to go and get a faster car again. And do more and more laps.
0: Speed trails. It turns out you didn't get your time in the fastest car, though. So we're, we're ah, actually holding the big asterisk. Big, asterisk, 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 big asterisk, asterisk. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well done, Nathan. To you... sum it up, I think I think Shane, I think Shane literally had to go for a lap afterwards, such was the adrenaline uh, rush that he had to come down from it. I was falling asleep in the car on the way back, and it wasn't just your conversation, Jar. I hey. was just absolutely exhausted. Uh, it was such a buzz, but
0: feel oh, the fear brilliant. and Couldn't do it anyway it more. is the lesson. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, uh, as I said. Thanks to BMW for sorting that out as well. Uh, right, that's our show today. We're back tomorrow with plenty more. Uh, remember, you'll find Brian Adressel's thoughts on the Ireland Autumn Series and Munster fans, you'll get the latest episode of the Red 78 with Alan Quill and Nick Briggs on our rugby feed. The football reaction every day for you. Cristiano Ronaldo stuff. Marcella Mora Irojo in Buenos Aires after Argentina's defeat to Saudi Arabia and loads more. Dave McIntyre himself is going to explain his You Had to Be There. We'll have more on the possible end of the Glazer ownership. And the Fremantle Dockers, Orla Lally, will be on the line, plus plenty more besides. We will see you tomorrow. OTB AM with Gillette in
5: association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent modes.